Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hope you had a great weekend and welcome to another episode and another week of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson with you. And folks, that familiar voice that normally joins me on the program for the first time ever is not here. Michael Remus, uh, and actually Remo will be on tomorrow, but then is going to be gone again for about a week and a little bit here, and we'll be holding it down. Big shout out to our guy Alex, who's helping us get on and off the air and doing everything else that happens behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, Remo will be here tomorrow and then away for a few more days. So uh, be a little bit different of a show this week. And again, not to disappoint you all, but in advance, prepare yourself for one Friday without a marble race. That will return a week from Friday. But we had a banger on Friday to get us into the weekend. Um, so we've got a packed show today. Uh, my guy, the Scooch, Joe Piscucci, is going to join me a little earlier than normal. Without a normal intro from Michael Remus. Tom Gazzola, of course, was uh, covering the World Junior Hockey Championships. And we'll recap the tourney with Gaz coming up a little bit later on. And Jeff Hamilton is at Blue Bomber practice right now. Hammer is going to join the program a little bit later than normal, kind of into the second hour after practice. And we'll get the latest from Bomber practice today as they are back on the field well, for the last couple days, getting ready to return to the field on Thursday. We've got lots of CFL news. We'll touch on some of that with the Joe as well. And Joe also has some incredible footage of, uh, that 1960 bomber team that the uh, current squad was chasing to go to 10 and 0. So we'll have all of that coming up in a few minutes. Hey, first things first, big thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Our friends at Coolbet, Princess Auto, Assiniboia Downs, Canadian Club Whiskey, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Breezy Bend, Royal Sports, Culligan Water, Vita Health, F Apparel, Wallace and Wallace, and of course our friends over at Aikens Lake. Well, what a weekend it was. Uh, Manitoba Open took a little while to get going, but once it did, what a great event that was. I actually headed out to Southwood right after Friday's show. Got a chance to see a little bit of uh, the pride of Breezy Bend, back-to-back -back amateur and junior champion Braxton Koontz do his thing. Caught a beautiful birdie of his on the ninth hole. And then got a chance to watch a little bit of Mark Shifley, who was teeing off on 10 after birdieing the 8th and ninth holes. Now, the uh, Saturday, or the, I guess, yeah, the Saturday round, round two, did not go as well for Mark Shifley as uh, he did. Actually played very well in the first round. I think finished at six over with just a couple tough holes. Uh, he did like I did on Saturday, took a nine on a hole at one point. A little bit tougher in pro conditions, though. Um, and Braxton Koontz had a strong second round. Ended up missing the cut by just a one. Uh, the cut ended up being minus five. He finished at minus four. But a great performance by uh, the young Manitoba amateur and junior champion. It was Parker Cootie who was the winner. And this guy ran like ran away from the rest of the uh, rest of the field. Winning at a, by eight shots. 27 under par. Uh, recent grad at the University of Texas, I believe his twin brother just had a great performance on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, so this is really what it is all about. Remember that name, Parker Cootie. Wouldn't it all be surprised if we're hearing about him on the PGA Tour in a year or two, like so many getting their start here at PGA Tour Canada. Um, speaking of golf, I'll just touch on this quickly. We'll maybe get to this a little later on. 
Um, second leg of the Tour Championship finished. We now have the final 34 East Lake in Atlanta. It was Patrick Cantley winning the event yesterday, going back-to-back as the winner of the BMW. Scotty Scheffler is the world number one and will be number one ranked going into the Tour Championship, coming off that incredible start to the season he had. And if you're unfamiliar with the way the Tour Championship works, um, it's a staggered start. So Scheffler's going to begin the tournament on Thursday at minus 10. Cantlay is going to be at number two at minus eight. And uh, the rest of the field will go down from there. Great news, though, for Canadians. couple big things for Corey Connors. First of all, he's in the top 30. He'll be in all the majors next year. I mean, that, that is a, a huge, huge accomplishment um, for any player on the PGA Tour to cement yourself in the top 30. He'll also be playing in the event. I believe he's 21st on the list. He'll start at minus one. And uh, But the other thing is that he's clinched his spot as a member of the President's Cup team. Now, eight players were announced yesterday, including Cameron Smith, who is long rumored to be gone as soon as this next event is over. Um, and I'll tell you what, our guy Taylor Pendrith, um, you know, acquitted himself very well, tied for eighth yesterday in the tournament. Um, so he could very well be part of that President's Cup uh, team going forward. So obviously he started off with a little bit of golf from the Manitoba Open side of things, but it was a very busy weekend. Now we're going to spend plenty of time talking CFL a little bit later on as Joe as well, but I should talk about the World Junior Hockey Championships right off the bat. The, uh, I mean, this was a cursed tournament to begin with, and we spent some time about that, and Gaz Gazzola will, will, will get to that as well. But it was certainly nice to see a few more asses in seats for that game. I mean, uh, you know, everything that's happened with this tournament certainly was not anything to do with the young men that were wearing the Hockey Canada jerseys at the at the event. Um, and they certainly gave the people that showed up a heart-stopping victory in the gold medal game on Saturday night. A 2-0 lead that evaporated to the Finns in the third period, sending the game to overtime. And a play that we you've probably all seen over and over again, just kind of rubbing your eyes and going, how did that happen? But Mason McTavish with a uh, Houdini-like save and escape for Canada. And then the brilliant hands of Kent Johnson with the winner. So Canada wins the World Junior Hockey Championships. Thank God this tournament is over. I think that's probably the way most people are feeling right now. It's hard to believe that we're just a few months from doing it all over again, once again on Canadian soil with the event in Halifax a little later on. But Tom Gazzola is going to join us. We'll kind of focus in on Canada's win and everything about the tournament with Gazzola uh, a little bit later on on the program. Um, the Elks... Our winners, I'm going to talk to Joe uh, Pascucci about this. We'll get to all the big news from coming out of the weekend in the Canadian Football League. Um, Paul Apolise probably on a bit of a hot seat. Riders lose again. But there's really one story in the Canadian Football League and then everything else. And that, of course, is the injury to stud young Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke, who had really almost single-handedly, maybe that's unfair, but it was a big part of really revitalizing the excitement in the Lions uh, Lions franchise. He went down against the Riders. It's been announced he's got a Lis Frank sprain, but it will require surgery. And that means no Nathan Rourke until the earliest the end of the season. Now, what is interesting is that the Bombers and Lions were scheduled to play the final two games of the regular season for the Bombers schedule. I think there was a buy mixed in there. It was two of the last three for BC. So I'm not sure exactly 
right now at this point how realistic it might be to see Nathan Rourke play before the end of the year. Certainly with the incredible record they put together so far, BC should be a playoff team barring an absolute bottoming out. So it's sort of up in the air. But overall, he had been such a great story and it added so much excitement into a Western division that as we saw last year, the Bombers sort of ran away with about 65% of the schedule way through. Whether that happens again, I guess we remain. The Bombers do play the Calgary Stampeders coming up on Thursday night, back off of their bye week. And Jeff Hamilton, as I mentioned, is at practice. We'll uh, talk to him about that a little bit later on. A um, couple other things to mention right off the bat, and we'll get to some Jets talk with Joe. Uh, but the New York Islanders finally announced the moves that they've been sitting on. And I, again, I said this last week, I have no idea the, the methods that Lou Lamorello uses to run his team. But by all accounts, the deals have been done for a considerable period of time. And for whatever reason, they decided to announce them today. Alex Romanov gets a three-year deal with his new team, the Islanders. Noah Dobson gets a three-year deal. And Kiefer Bellows gets a one-year deal. Um, but I did have to kind of bit chuckle, and it certainly ties into Winnipeg Jets conversations, that Lou Lamorello was asked about, you know, where the team's at and the lack of moves so far this season. And this is the quote from uh, Islanders GM Lou Lamorello. There's no disappointment where we're at because we feel very good about who we are or we would have made drastic changes this offseason. We're looking forward to getting back at it and proving everybody wrong. And the other quote that, well, depending on what side of the fence you're on with the Winnipeg Jets that might make you chuckle, some of the best transactions you make are the ones you don't make. Um, well, that, that could be a calling card here in Winnipeg right now as well, because it's still been quite slow. Um, and interestingly enough, Rick Bonus was on with Bob McCowan over the last few days. And... We're starting to hear more and more um, that, well, you know what? We thought this team was pretty good and uh, essentially kind of couching the the fact that not a lot has been changed from a team that um, disappointed in a major, major regard last season. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking to Joe about that coming up. One other thing I should mention from the weekend, and we don't spend a lot of time talking UFC. Although there'll be some big fights. I'll get Aaron Bronstetter on. Uh, Leon Edwards, if you missed this was going up against Usman, who is arguably number one pound for pound in the world, number two at worst. Uh, he ended the reign of the champ with a leg kick to the head, which stunned everybody in the crowd. And I was looking at one point at that fight before he went down. Usman was a minus 3,000 favorite. He had essentially won the fight already. And um, it's one of the most stunning uh, upsets in UFC history. If you haven't seen it, Get to your local social media site and uh, just type it in uh, Uzman KO and uh, and you will see it. So there was a lot coming on out of the weekend. But of course, the big stories, especially here in Winnipeg, Bombers back on the field, Nathan Rourke out, and uh, a lack of anything new to report on the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to get to all of that with Joe Piscucci in just a second. Uh, but you know what? Before we do that, a little bit earlier than normal, do want to thank our friends over at Vita Health for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Vita Health is stocked with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices, with a very knowledgeable staff trained on these products to help you get the right item 
for you. And of course, if you're into organic produce or local grass-bred meats, great options for the barbecue and a great grab-and-go deli with Vita Market soup, salads, and sandwiches to go. Vita Health is the store for you. Uh, the great local company empowering people to lead healthy lives for over 85 years with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at myvita.ca. Um, got this great feedback on uh, our friends over at Wallace and Wallace. You heard Westy on the program a couple weeks ago talking about how much he loved his dog run that he got put in. Um, well, we think of them as the fencing, fencing specialists, but they're also the leaders in garage doors in Winnipeg, working with Clopay, the largest garage door manufacturer in the world. And despite supply chain challenges, you can still get a beautiful new garage door delivered, installed within four weeks, just in time for back-to-school hockey tryouts and the insanity of the post-Labor Day grind for most families here in Winnipeg. And speaking of doors, a new garage door can add up to 4% to the value of your home. With 161 styles of garage doors to choose from, there's a style that's right for your home. Visit them at wallacedoors.com. Give them a call or visit their showroom on Lawson Road. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, after the show today, we've got a couple things going on, but I will be picking up the new suit from F Apparel. So a suit show will be in the mix at some point soon when Remus comes back. Um, but this is really the time to get on this, folks, because we're going to get into September. You're going to have events. The holidays hopefully will be as we remember them pre-pandemic. And that means every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And if you're like me, uh, you know, what you had before the pandemic might not exactly work with where you're at right now. The great news, though, is F Apparel's custom suits begin at just $400. Had a great experience getting fitted out, deciding what I wanted it to look like, including it all. Some pretty neat options as well for the insides of the suits. But the bottom line is best prices in town, tailored to exactly as you like them. And we've got the experts at F there to help you out. So I'll be debuting it at some point soon, but if you need to get into uh, maybe up your game in the menswear department, pop down to F Apparel, 190 Smith Street downtown, online F, that's E-P-H apparel.com. Make an appointment, pop going and see them. And if you do have a wedding coming up, do not forget that uh, the entire wedding party will save 15% off your suits if you get them over at F Apparel. And hey, a lot of people were out on the uh, on the water maybe this weekend. Big shout out to our friends at Aikens Lake. If you're thinking about an amazing destination fly-in fishing trip here in Manitoba where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot run by the amazing Turan family. Find out more at AikensLake.com or if you have questions about availabilities and more, give them a buzz or hit up our good friend Pitt Turan over at Aikens Lake on Twitter and all the social media channels. All right. Jeff Hamilton coming up after bomber practice a little later on, a recap of the World Juniors with Tom Gazzola. But right now, let's welcome in the Scooch himself, longtime sports director here in Winnipeg and the archivist of Winnipeg sports, if there ever was one, <laughs> Joe Scoochie. Scooch, what's going on? How are you? How was your weekend? Uh, pretty quiet. Uh, just uh, it was a big rainstorm out here in Ontario, so uh, mostly indoors this weekend watching baseball and Obviously, the CFL, a lot of interest in those games this weekend. 
let me ask you, did you have any interest in the World Juniors this uh, this year? I mean, uh, it was something that was sort of off the radar for so many people. Did it catch your eye at all, or uh, did it at least by the end of the tournament? Well, when Canada played, um, those are the games I tuned in. But, of course, a lot of them were blowouts and uh, until the gold medal game. So, the, you know, your interests – I'm not interested in watching Canada beat up on, on countries. You know, I, I just don't find those games interesting. I don't find the round robin, you know, split into two divisions interesting anymore. I'd like to see, you know, 18 tournament and you play every team once. So just have the top teams there and then you have a playoff after that because, you know, watching them beat up uh, teams 11 nothing or 11-2, to two, there's no fun in that anymore. Uh, it certainly wasn't 11-2 in that final. I mean, I, I am still wrapping <laughs> my head around – how yeah. Mason McTavish, and we'll talk about that with Gazzola a bit later on, but I mean, thank God that happened in the gold medal game where at least people were paying attention to because that play to help to stay alive to then win in overtime is one that yeah. if it was in a regular tournament at Christmas would potentially be one of the most famous plays in the tournament's history, oh. Joe. Oh, I think it is one of the most famous plays in tournament history. Goes up there with Jonathan Taves and the the three shootout goals. But this was a gold medal game. Taves was the semifinal game. I was thinking, you know, there's two games that I, I think of. I, I think of the women's uh, gold medal final in the Olympics in 2014, where Canada's down a goal and the U U.S. shoot the puck down the ice, the empty net, and it hits the post. And Canada comes back and scores the goal that sends it to overtime and they would win the gold medal there. And, of course, the game, the World Junior, I think it was 2009, uh, where the Russians with the one-goal lead and they iced the puck and then Jordan Everly scores um, to send that game uh, to overtime with, I think, what, one or two seconds left in regulation. So those, those are the only kind of two games I, that come to my mind as to – something I can compare what happened in that gold medal game, but what a play by Mason McTavish. What hand-eye coordination. I'm just shocked that the other Canadian defenseman didn't actually knock the puck into the net. Not only did he have to, <laughs> you know, maneuver the puck out, but he had to avoid the, the stick of the other Canadian player. No, it was, uh, it was wild. We'll go to Edmonton a little later on with a little bit more on uh, the tournament overall, off the ice, on the ice. And unfortunately, so much of this event was about off the ice as opposed to what the young men did in winning the gold medal on the weekend. Uh, I guess staying with hockey, Joe, it's been a while since we spoke, but nothing has happened with the Jets with the exception of signing a few <laughs> RFAs. And, you know, I was mentioning yeah. that we're hearing more and more from people in and around the organization and now Rick bonus in his conversation with, uh, with uh, Bob McCown, that it sort of seems like the party line right now is that, well, you know what, this, this is a good team. It just was a disappointing. I mean, like, are we just giving the 2021 jets a mulligan here? Uh, Joe, what do you make of the, of the lack of, of moves that we all expected would come out of the disappointment of last season? here in late August yeah. uh, with training camp just well, around the corner. I, I'm waiting for the announcement. Uh, sorry about my phone going off. I'm waiting for the announcement that, uh, you know, they've re-signed Paul Stastny to come back for the team. And and uh, Rick Bonus always says, you know, they just lost their way. So maybe he can be the guiding light and point them in the right direction for this coming season. But you're right. Nothing has changed except for the coaching staff. And maybe that's all they needed because obviously this was a team that had um, tuned out Paul uh, Maurice and, um, you know, 
didn't really uh, respond to the, the changes that were made there. So maybe Rick Bonus can, can light a fire under this group and, uh, and get them playing the way that we all expected that they would play last season. I'm, I'm interested to see what Kevin Shevel Dayoff does uh, with the defense because, I mean, he's got to find, uh, you know, a spot in the roster for Vili Hanola and Dylan Sandberg. So who do you take out? Is it Logan Stanley going to be traded out or is some team going to pick him up on waivers? Um, so what happens there? I mean, they have to get those players into the lineup and it's going to be interesting for me to see how he does that. Yeah, well, you mentioned Logan Stanley, man. I think just with how much they put in, I mean, I don't think they expose him to waivers. And Johnny Kovacevic is now waivers exempt, is yeah. not waivers exempt either. So, I mean, I think it would be a pretty sour pill to swallow if Hanela and Sandberg were with the Moose just simply because of their contract situation. And to be honest, I'm yeah, not sure that that's pushing them going forward in the right direction that you'd like to see them take. Yeah, and, and then I think that sends a bad message to all the other players they have in their organization or players they are potentially, you know, draft from U.S. colleges. Like, you know, here's a team that, you know, you're good maybe – and we saw Sandberg and Hola, maybe good enough to play in the NHL, but they're going to keep you down on the farm team for two or three seasons when you could be playing up in the NHL. And I think that I, I don't want to see that happen again this year because I think it sends a bad message to uh, other players who, you know, maybe, you know, are drafted by the Jets playing in U.S. colleges and then decide that they, they don't want to play with the Jets and just, uh, you know, don't sign and just wait it out. Yeah, well, and I think also, I mean, it's a tough situation for Rick Bonus to come into. I mean, like, I, I certainly, I guess someone, you know, that just wants to see the team do well and is buying tickets to go. I mean, I'd like the new head coach to be able to come in and have the freedom to make the decisions that in, like, there's a reason why they hired him. Uh, give him right. the opportunity to make the decisions for the lineup. Paul Maurice famously said, hey, I'm the one that has the lineup card. The lineup card that Rick Bonus should have from the beginning should be pretty open. I mean, he should have the opportunity to put these guys into that place. And from an organizational standpoint, I know you don't want to you lose guys for nothing, but that's why I guess we've been thinking all of this summer that there would be a move at least for one of those defensemen. And the other side of it is, Joe, the Jets have a real need up front at forwards. I mean, the forward group hasn't been as thin as this, especially at the bottom. I'm not sure at any point. I mean, routinely there'd be a few ads, maybe some depth players, but you know, with cop being gone and Morgan Barron looks like a player, he'll get a chance to be in there, but I'm not sure he's going to be yeah. Andrew cop right away. And with the loss of Paul Stassi on and off the ice is really the conscience of the team, which I think mm -hmm. is incredibly important. I really do have major questions as to both that forward group and can they utilize a bit of the cap space they have and a defenseman to maybe solve that problem or at least get a little bit closer to where they like to be. Yeah. But maybe with Rick Bonus now as head coach, some of those, you know, third and fourth line players will get more of an opportunity to play than they did under Paul Maurice. I mean, I think we should definitely see more of the fourth line this season, uh, you know, giving them some, there's no point keeping them on the bench for as long as Maurice had, had done in the past. And, you know, Mason Appleton, I think he had a really good, you know, before he was, picked up by Seattle. He had a really good season for the Jets. I think that he'll have a, a good season coming up. Uh, Adam Lowry, I think, will take a step forward again. I know people want to see him score more, and he wants to see himself score more. And I think that will come. I think there will be a positive 
effect with Rick Bonus as head coach. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but I think there will be a positive step with Rick Bonus here. I'm interested to see where where does Pierre Luc Dubois is he on the first power play or the second power play? Since he's <laughs> pretty much decided he's not going to be a Winnipeg Jet after after two years. So I, I don't well, know. Well, he you, certainly took a lot of the heat off a like couple. That? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I think at the end of the day, you got to put the guys out that you think make the most sense to help you win hockey games. And for right now, Pierre-Luc Dubois is probably one of those guys that does that. But from yeah. a, a media and a fan perspective, I mean, the summer that Dubois had and everything that's happened, uh, if anything, has taken some heat off of some other guys that I think would have been <laughs> the number one guy on the list when the media shows up for the beginning. And, you know, the Blake yes. Wheeler Cup, you know, situation is very interesting. And, you know, I know Mark uh, Mark Shifley played last week in the golf here, so we sat down with Sarah Orleski first and then met the media and sort of got ahead of that and certainly sounded like he was uh, much more positive about everything than he was at the end of last season. But um, we'll, the bottom we'll line is... that we're, reflects we're, in his play. We'll see well, if that it, reflects in his that's play. That's the only I don't thing that matters, during, right? Yes. I don't want to see him make another stupid pass again. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen, but I don't want to see it to the regularity that we've come to know that we've seen from him the last oh, he's got to be engaged I mean, I, joe i mean that was the thing yeah. like it just seemed at times like he was simply not engaged last year and again we don't need to relitigate last season we've spent <laughs> yes, enough time yes. talking about it but Let's the bottom line is is we're basically moving forward with the same team right now and god knows we're hearing a lot about it in the chat every day hey listen some of the best moves are the moves you don't make <laughs> yeah well i'll tell you what a great move that the winnipeg jets did make was announcing that um, for the Hall of Fame next year, we'll be welcoming two legends from the 90s era, and that is Tamu Solani and Teppo Newman. And then we've talked so much about Timu. He is a legend around here. But I, for my money, Teppo Newman, one of the most underrated Jets ever, as well as when you look at his body of work, well over a 1,000 games with what he did. I mean, a guy that... You know, probably just because of the nature, his personality, how effective, quietly effective he was, maybe he doesn't get the yeah. just desserts that he's had as an NHLer. But um, two guys that I think are home run additions and should be a great, great night in November. What do you think of those two? And maybe fill some people in, especially on Newman and what you remember about him being on that Jet Blue line. Very quiet, very efficient, just did his job, right? He wasn't flashy. He, he wasn't an Olison. He wasn't uh, Phil Housley. He wasn't a Dave Ellett. He just did his job quietly. Of, I, you know, strictly speaking, defensively, he was the Jets' best defenseman. And he could chip in offensively when he wanted to, when he would join the rush. And he could join the rush. And he had some good hands and he had some good, uh, you know, uh, skills to set up other players and teammates. But his forte was just being a quiet, efficient, shutdown defenseman, and he did it so quietly. You know, you rarely ever heard from from Teppo, but you know, he scored in his very first NHL game. It was a shorthanded goal that tied the game against the Vancouver Canucks, and then he didn't score another goal for 90 games. <laughs> so <laughs> he was the Jets. <laughs> they they joked about that with him, but. He was just a quiet, efficient defenseman, flew under the radar, much like Kyle Connor has done offensively, you know, the last few seasons, but everybody knows Kyle Connor now. And, you know, he was, he was respected around the NHL. 
You know, he may not have, like I said, may not have been flashy, but he does his job very efficiently. See, my dog is barking for him right now. Yeah, exactly. And everyone in the chat, Newman and Seth's the tempo. We remember the signs in the old yes. arena. But from a yeah. media perspective, Joe, um, and it's funny. I mean, I think it's part of the reason why even when Patrick Laine came here, there was such an affection for Winnipeg. I mean, it goes back to those great fins that we'd had before. What mm -hmm. do you remember about covering both of those and the people that both Solani, who was a far higher profile, but also Newman was when dealing with both local media as well as the fans here in the peg. Yeah, well, like I said Teppo flew under the radar. I mean, he he rarely he didn't do that many interviews, and not because he wasn't you know didn't want to. Is that you know he, there were other players to ask, and uh, so and you know he, he wasn't flashy, so you just you know there wasn't really reason after a game to go talk to Teppo because. You know what he did was more defensive than offensive with Solani he was just uh just a, a revelation I mean I think we all knew that he had potential in that rookie season because Calgary had signed him uh, as a, a free agent and the Jets had to match the offer and I always remember one of the exhibition games uh with Tamo Phil Housley sent him a pass a breakaway pass and he goes in and scores and I'd never seen this before I've seen it since but I'd never seen it before so a player, one of the players goes over to congratulate Tamo and he pushes him away to go over to congratulate uh, Phil Housley for the pass. I remember he pushes the guy away and then goes like that to Phil. And that's, wow. <laughs> I'd never seen that before in my life. And, you know, he didn't score in his first NHL game. He scored in the second and just never stopped scoring. He was obviously likable he was welcoming warm you know he was just outstanding to deal with you never saw a bad side to tamo at all until you know really after the trade you know because he was very upset about being traded out of winnipeg by the uh the, the incoming organization because it, it wasn't barry shank it was the the new coming in owners of the winnipeg jets that sent him away yeah, that one. Um, it's funny. There, you, you get your stomach churning on a couple of jet trades involving Finnish star scorer players, but we, maybe we won't have to go down go down that road. That, of course, event is in. Uh, I believe the Hall of Fame game is the seventeenth of November, and of course, there right. will be a gala event um, honoring both Solani and Newman, and we'll spend much more time talking about yeah. that going forward. All right, Joe. Let's get to uh, the Canadian Football League here. And, you know, we'll talk bomber stamps in a minute, look ahead to this week. But uh, um, just brutal for the league. Nathan Rourke has been uh, such a shot of energy on the West Coast to the entire league. Um, had been putting up all-time numbers through half a season. And now, unfortunately, he is uh, on the shelf potentially for the year. Um, how much of a blow is this to the league as much as the Lions, as yeah. you think, and just thoughts on the season that he's had so far as a Canadian quarterback, which we just don't see. Or just as any quarterback, you know, this is, it's not just that he's yeah. a Canadian, it's just the way he plays. It's just incredible. And, and it's just fun to watch. It, it really is fun to watch him, you know, even in the games that he struggles, how he works it out, and then comes back and, and, and finishes strong with the only exception being that that blue bomber game but you know 
it is a blow to the CFL, I think, because I think he had become, as they mentioned on, on TSN a few times, must see TV. You had, you know, when I know when BC's playing, I'm watching just because I love the way their offense plays. Like, I'm just amazed at times how wide open the receivers get because he's thrown a lot of deep touchdown passes to wide open receivers with no defensive back in sight. So, uh, you know, you got to hope that uh, maybe that continues with uh, Michael O'Connor, who now takes over. But Nathan Rourke, just just outstanding to watch him play. And, you know, there have been some comparisons I've heard, you know, about Rourke to Doug Flutie. I see more of Matt Dunnigan in Nathan Rourke. I see as he's another Matt Dunnigan, you know, just the, sort of the toughness, a little bit of the swagger that Dunnigan had when he played out there, wasn't afraid to run with the ball. You know, and he and done again a few, you know, I had it in one of my uh, Twitter feeds on this day in Bomber history. Dunnigan, you know, would take on a defensive back. He'd lower, he'd lower the shoulder and he'd go right in at the, at the defensive back. He, he wouldn't hook slide or he wouldn't go down easy. He, he wanted to, to create the contact. But uh, unfortunately for Nathan Rourke, I mean, the Lions are hoping that he'll be ready to play by the end of the season, which would mean a game against the BC Lions, but they're only hoping. Uh, I think it probably, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but I think by the sounds of it, it's really season ending. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, there's definitely a possibility of that. And the other Canadian, Michael O'Connor, will go in. And in some ways, I mean, Mike O'Shea would never admit to this, Joe, but it does change the entire landscape of the uh, of the West. I mean, you know, BC has been right on the heels. I mean, the only game that they've lost is the game to Winnipeg. Um, you know, and they won. They get to eight and one. The Bombers have the bye week. I mean, this was an absolutely a major race for first place. Without Nathan Rourke, I think it's unrealistic to think that BC can keep this up. Maybe we'll be wrong, and that will be a great story for the league as well. Um, yeah. But I do think, I mean, we'll see what happens with the Bombers in Calgary on Thursday night. But if the Bombers can get that win, get to 10-1, and one, sweep ah. Calgary, I mean, we could be in a potential situation like last year where the Bombers basically had wrapped up first place through nine games in a 14-game season. Yes, and and that was and that's not very and that's not good. It's not good for the the football team, and it's not good for the for the league to have a team that dominates like that. But we've also seen in the past teams that have dominated during the regular season don't always get to the Grey Cup or don't always win it. Uh, but you know, I, the Lions have a good offense, and they have a good defense. So I mean, you know, may they may not win at the the rate that they were under Nathan Rourke, but I still think they'll be very competitive and they'll pick up some wins. Uh, the team that's uh, really surprising is is the Calgary Stampeders to me, and with Bo Levi, you know, Mitchell being benched uh, in that at halftime of that game against Toronto. What's going to happen there, and what's going to happen on Thursday? You know, is it going to be Bo Levi Mitchell or is it going to be Jake uh, Mayer at starting quarterback uh, for the Calgary Stampeders? That's Dave Dickinson's call, of course. And the Stamps only have one practice this week, and that'll be tomorrow before facing the Bombers. So I, I, I think it's going to be Bo Levi Mitchell that we're going to see for Calgary. But the, the, the way that Bo Levi is playing this year is is quite shocking. I mean, you expect more from Bo Levi Mitchell, an MOP you know, in the past and a great cup winner, uh, but he, he just seems to be off 
you know, and it's just, it's not the same Bo Levi Mitchell that we've come to expect. Well, it sounds like the dog's definitely in the uh, Jake Mayer camp for, uh, for a Thursday night's game. I'm um, speaking. He's of a QBs, little dog, I but mean, he's loud. <laughs> what about uh, Cody Fajardo? I mean, same sort of thing. We oh, saw yeah. Fajardo yanked in that game on the weekend. I mean, the Riders sort of floundering right there in mediocrity at 500. But the Riders may be the, you know, fourth place is the probably the best spot to be if you want to get to the Grey Cup because you're then become the crossover team and you go against the play against the teams in the East that are struggling. So maybe finishing fourth in the West is not all that bad. It's an easier route to the Grey Cup because you don't have to play either Calgary or BC or the Bombers to get there. You have to play Toronto, Hamilton, or Montreal. And, you know, and right now those teams really shouldn't frighten uh, too many clubs in the West. But Cody Fajardo, I mean, you know, he's been playing hurt all season. He, he's not the quarterback we've seen from two years ago. He, he did have an MCL injury to his left knee, I think suffered early in the season. So he probably still feeling some of the effects of that. But Mason Fine looked okay, but obviously they have issues in Saskatchewan. Was it, there's only two teams in the CFL that, you know, that haven't had some kind of quarterback issue. And that's, well, Bombers, of course, was Zach Claros and uh, Toronto with with Bethel Thompson, though I don't think he's very good at all. I think there should be a, a change there in Toronto. I mean, he's, he just, Bethel, I, I just don't, I don't see him as a, as a, a long-term CFL quarterback. Well, speaking of long-term, I mean, uh, how much longer term is uh, Lapo going to be ahead in Ottawa? I mean, that's an embarrassing loss. And I mean, that second yeah. half against the Elks was absolutely ugly. And uh, I mean, listen, after the year they had last year, what one winner on the season. I mean, you could only put up results like this for so long, despite as much as everyone loves the guy. Um, I, I think that he's under a lot of pressure going into the second half of the year. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I mean, for those the Ottawa fans, I mean, the last 20 games in Ottawa, the home games, they've only won one game, the Red Blacks. And that's not very good. And for, for, for Lapo, I mean, you, you know, unfortunately, you don't want to make, I guess they're still in playoff contention, sadly, because of the fact that Toronto and, and Montreal only have four wins and Hamilton has three. So realistically, they're, they're still in, in playoff contention, though they're really not. But uh, the Ottawa has a break mid-September. And if, uh, you know, the losing continues, I think that would probably be the time where there, we may see a coaching change in Ottawa, you know, or at that point, it's like, you know, why do it mid-season? Just wait till the end of the season and make the change there. So, but I think mid-September they'll probably make a change if nothing improves in the meantime. Well, all eyes on IG Field on Thursday as the Bombers get back on uh, the field after their first bye of the season at nine and one. And you know, we were talking off air. Um, you know, if things had gone a little differently with a certain kick at the end of regulation, we might be talking about a 10 and 0 team. We should be talking about a 10 and team, whatever things happen. Uh, right. But there got a lot of people talking about that 1960 blue bomber team. That was the measure for the great starts. Um, Alex, if you can, yeah. let's uh, throw this, uh, throw this video up and uh, Joe, you can fill us in on uh, bomber stamps from 62 years ago. Yes, this is the 1960 Blue Bombers, the team that went 10 and 0, the best Blue Bomber team never to win the Grey Cup. And that was a touchdown pass from Kenny Plain to uh, Ernie Pitts. 
Uh, Herb Gray, that is Joe Cap playing quarterback for the Stampeders and ill-advisedly throws a pass with four bombers on him and Herb Gray gets it for the uh, for the touchdown. Uh, one of two in his career, of course. And uh, here's an opportunity here. Herb Gray, great player for the Bombers. His name's on the, uh, you know, the Ring of Honor. And that was a sack. Jerry James, we all know Jerry James, of course, played not only for the Bombers, but he also played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And here's Kenny Plain rolling out, and he's going to throw a touchdown pass to Farrell Funston. And the last highlight you're going to see from this 1960 team is a run, touchdown run by Leo Lewis. So all those players, with the exception of Farrell Funston, are all in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And Funston is in the Blue Bombers uh, Hall of Fame. So there are some highlights from that 1960 team, the greatest Blue Bomber team never to have won the Grey Cup. And those see, are that's the common players. I mean, of my vintage, I mean, obviously it's the 01 team that uh, we always remember not getting there after that uh, that great season. But um, I, yeah. how did they lose? How did, how did this team not get it done? I mean, uh, we know what happened in that season that prevented them from, uh, you know, after yeah, they, rolling over they, everyone for most of the year? The Edmonton Eskimos happened in the playoffs. <laughs> That's what happened to them. And uh, I think uh, Ken, they was a, it was best of three finals back then. You played three games in a week uh, to get to the Grey Cup, and the Bombers lost two of those three uh, to the uh, Eskimos. And I think the last game was by a score of four to three here at the the old stadium. So it it wasn't the the you know they just faded. They just had a a, a bad finish. That's all you can say about them and those those Edmonton Eskimos doing it to the four, Bombers three. again. Yeah, what I think it was something like that. <laughs> uh, folks again if you're listening on the podcast you, you can check out the youtube feed some really really cool footage from 1960 of uh of the bombers going out of bombers playing uh with all of those hall of famers and at Pascucci 015 is the twitter feed um joe with so many incredible gems from uh over the years focusing on winnipeg sports must follow for you <laughs> winnipeg sports fans uh Joe, this has been fun. What do you just quickly before we go? I and mean, uh, what do you make of the Bombers uh, coming off the bye, going up against a team that'll probably be pretty pissed off considering the way the two Calgary Winnipeg games have gone so far this season? But you mentioned short week. This is what the Bombers went through earlier this season. They're now right. the benefactors of the extra rest, and this is a tough spot for Calgary despite getting the win in Toronto. Yeah. Yes, it's true. And the Bombers were in a tough spot and they looked pretty good in that game against Calgary. So I, you know, I'd be wary of Calgary. Uh, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, I expect him to start and I uh, think that he'll have a better game uh, than he certainly did against Toronto. I think he knows that uh, the things could be on the line for him if he doesn't. I, I'm, you know, I wasn't as much worried about, uh, you know, Mark Leggio missing that uh, game winning field goal or the one in overtime as I was about the offensive line that had given up five sacks in that game. And that could be because of the fact that, you know, the team hadn't had a break in the season and, you know, until after that 10th game, but, you know, Calgary looked pretty good uh, against Toronto. Sean Lemon had a couple of sacks and a forced fumble. So I, I'm, I'm expecting Legio to bounce back. I'm expecting the offensive line to bounce back, but uh, you know, those five sacks uh, did concern me a lot against Montreal. 
that Zach Kolaris didn't have as much time as he, he normally does in that offensive line, you know, for one of the rare occasions struggled. Yeah, well, uh, just sets up a very interesting matchup. The third of the season and final one between the Stamps and Bombers. Thursday night, IG Field. Stay tuned to Winnipeg Sports Talk. We'll have some tickets to give away over the next couple of days to Thursday night's game. Joe, always great having you on the program. Let's do this again soon. Thanks so much for the time today, and especially for that cool 1960s Bomber footage. All right, thank you. See you next time. Appreciate it. There it is. The Scooch himself. Give him a follow on Twitter at Pascucci015. All right. We are going to head to Edmonton, get a little bit of a rap ski on the old World Junior Hockey Championships with Tom Gazzola. And then Jeff Hamilton's going to join the program. And we'll have uh, some reports that Greg Ellingson left the field today at practice. Um, so uh, hopefully. We won't hear any bad news on that, but um, Jeff will give us a full wrap and we'll do a little bit more looking ahead to Thursday's night's game between the Bombers and the Stampeders. All right, uh, just as we get to Tommy, a big thanks to our friends at Culligan Water, the water experts for over 65 years here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, not to mention commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether it's for the home, the cottage, or the business, Culligan has you covered. Pop down and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue. Give them a call at 694-5180 or hit them up online at drinkculligan.com. Well, uh, I've spent quite a bit of time over, well, last night, tonight, checking out the ins and outs of the NFL scene with fantasy football draft uh, draft season here. And, of course, Royal Sports is the spot to get geared up for the upcoming season. Now, all 32 teams, new stock coming in daily, getting ready for the start of the season. Royal Sports is definitely the spot to get ready for the upcoming year. But it's not just NFL. NBA, Blue Jays, Major League Baseball, soccer from around the world, the best selection of Jets gear in town, as well as, of course, Blue Bombers and more. If you do need to get one of those new jerseys before the game on Thursday, just hit up Royal Sports at 750 Pemina on the way to the game. And with hockey season just around the corner, if you've got a hockey player in the family, a trip to Royal is in order because they are the hockey superstore with players that'll help you get fit for the best equipment for your needs at 750 Pemina Highway. Hockey's here, and Royal Sports gets you ready for that. Um, hey, a big shout-out to our friends at Boston Pizza. There is a Monday nighter tonight. Maybe not, might not be the game that you go out to watch, considering it's preseason. But Bombers, Stamps on Thursday night, big CFL games, and so much more. No better place to go to watch the big game than Boston Pizza. And I will give you more details coming up very soon on some exciting trip giveaways that BP's doing for Monday Night Football coming up this year. Of course, check out their menu online. Game day deals as well. And you can always order online 24-7. Uh, three, well, not 24-7, but 365 days a year, pretty much, at bostonpizza.com. And once again, congratulations to Patrick Cootie, who is the winner of the Manitoba Open and Breezy Ben's own Braxton Coons missed the cut by the number, uh, but four under par really acquitted himself well for the back-to-back -back Manitoba Amateur and Junior Champion. When we talk golf on this program, we do it for Breezy Bend. If you're thinking about a great home, 
for your family on the golf course at Winnipeg's top private clubs. Talk to our friend Corey Johnson at Breezy about getting on the waiting list for next year and find out more online at breezybend.ca on everything that Breezy Bend has to offer. All right, Bomber update with Hammer a little bit later on, but right now let's head out to Edmonton and welcome in my pal Tommy Gazzola to wrap the World Junior Hockey Championships. All right, let's head to Edmonton right now and recap the very bizarre summer World Junior Hockey Championships with our pal Tom Gazzola, who's been quite involved throughout the tournament. Uh, Tommy, it's over. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, any excuse to get you back on Winnipeg Sports Talk? What's up? Not much, Huss. Uh, good to have it over. It was a weird tournament, like you said. Nice to see a decent crowd in the building. They had, I think, 13,000 for the gold medal game. Good for Canada. Crazy finish. Uh, nice to be done. The work portion of it, that's for sure. And uh, a neat, weird, different type of World Juniors. And guess what? We get to do it all over again in, what, 95 days? Something like that. Can't wait. Yeah, no doubt. I, I imagine there'll be a very different feel for this tournament out in Halifax, but uh, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. That being said, listen, before we get to the game, and it was an absolute thriller with a play that people will remember and will be seeing on TSN Sports Center for decades. Uh, they got over 13000 in the building that night. I mean, tickets were still very expensive. Um, it, it's hard not to talk about this tournament with everything that was around it. And one of those things that we're not used to seeing is cavernous, empty arenas for the World Junior Hockey Championship. It did get better throughout the tournament, obviously into medal round. I mean, uh, how much of this tournament really was about off-ice things as opposed to the action on the ice that culminated with that gold medal thriller? Almost all of it's off-ice because of how messed up it is to begin with. Then you can mix in all the Hockey Canada uh, controversy that's been going on and, and the dilemmas and issues that Hockey Canada is facing right now. That didn't help the story. And then, you know, we're in the middle of August and we're having this World Juniors tournament. Uh, it was the third straight time in Edmonton. And people here, I think it's fair to say, are pretty much hockeyed out. And whether it be World Juniors or from the Oilers run, the Oil Kings run, it's just, you know, there's so much other stuff to do. Like in Winnipeg in the summer, you take advantage of those nice days, and that's what people were doing. You only have so many entertainment bucks per family, per household, and the World Juniors at this type of uh, situation and at this type of uh, time in, in the summer, it, it just didn't work. It was like trying to pound a square peg into a round hole and, and yeah people got on board towards the end but it was bizarre weird and and yeah it, essentially all of it was off ice on the ice the action was good these kids played their hearts out even though we didn't see the same rosters that were here in december it just they just got through it and and here we are we're done and we could talk about a crazy finish which is probably the nicest part of of all of this tournament yeah, I mean, obviously it did gain some uh, momentum, and certainly thanks to Team Canada. I mean, can you imagine if Canada had somehow been, like, upset in the quarterfinal or something like that? I mean, yeah. it would have been very different. How much of that was Edmontonians just feeling like, hey, we got to go to this game, and we can't have this empty building again being shown for a gold medal game? Because, I mean, you're very dialed in. you got a lot of people in the hockey community, people that would normally be there for Oilers playoff games, tournaments before. I'd imagine most of the people you met, not only did they not go at least earlier on in the tournament, but did not feel like they were really missing out on anything. There, there was a couple of different rhetorics from just people, friends, uh, randoms you met in and around the city, 
And, and one of them, I think early in the tournament was good. You know, Hockey Canada doesn't deserve to have uh, big crowds and doesn't deserve to be taking in big sums of money right now. They, they deserve what they're getting right now in, in low attendance and all that. And then another one, you know, the rhetoric started to shift a little bit. It's like, wow, that's really pathetic. And then the national limelight being on Edmonton, not being a hockey city and people not showing up for this tournament. Yeah, the perception wasn't good. And, and even though, you know, you would ask people around town, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to the lake this weekend. No, I'm not going to go watch Team Canada play a hockey game in a cold rink on the second week of August. It's so there was that, that kind of flip midway through. And when Canada started to get on a roll and, you know, they had that perfect record going into the quarterfinals and then they get through the quarters into the mm-hmm. semis. I think people that stuck around town, you know, kind of just grinned and bared it and forked over the cash to go watch their junior team play and support. And hmm. even though it wasn't a full building, it, it was a pretty raucous crowd. And the fans that were there got a, a great entertaining game. So I, I think, you know, at first it was just kind of this malaise and, and kind of whatever towards the World Juniors. But as things picked up, people realized, hey, this is, this is kind of special. We should go check it out. And they did. And you know what? Prices be damned. Good for them. Although the prices were pretty steep. I don't know what the rationale for those ticket prices were, Huss. And uh, filling in on our morning show, the Nielsen show, people were complaining about them. And then I would go click on the World Junior website, look at tickets, and I'm in the same boat as them. I'm like, I'm not paying 180 bucks for a prime seat on a Wednesday afternoon in Edmonton in a cold, cold rink on a plus 30 day. No chance. So it, that was the, totally that was the get-in price. I mean, we were looking that at was the, the semifinal. If yeah. you wanted to get in, just like just get me a seat. I don't need to be right behind the penalty box. It was 175 a pop. Yeah. And uh, listen, I really do hope. First of all, I'll say this about Edmonton. Edmonton has been there for the last three years with the bubble and with the you know with the uh, attempted event earlier on in, in, in Christmas. Yeah. And we could talk about why that one failed. Besides it, but no one should be giving the people of Edmonton any brain damage whatsoever let's not forget they just had a team that went to the conference finals as well and that depleted the reserves i think of a lot of hockey fans and we all remember <laughs> yes. what the finances were like after the jets went to the conference finals in 27 18 18 you add in these tournaments i mean the edmonton people i think listen i will commend them for coming out the way they did for that gold medal game because as we mentioned the prices were ridiculous and I really do hope that there's a major, major self-reflection by Hockey Canada and the IIHF realizing that they are just about squeezing the last bit of life out of the golden goose that is the World Junior Hockey Championships. And if they yeah. don't start making it reasonable again, affordable, and allowing people to come out and get behind these teams, we're going to be seeing a lot more of what we had in August in the wintertime and that's just uh, that's a reality we've seen that trend over the last few years and at a certain point when all of a sudden all the big companies aren't snapping everything up at the massive numbers leaving whatever's left for the for the regular people you put it back on the backs of the fans and i'm sorry 130 dollars for a regular round robin game between junior hockey players is is nuts all that being said that you sort of have to talk about this that when it comes to this tournament there was some great hockey on the ice and you know I, I do feel sorry for a number of these young guys i mean they probably grew up dreaming of the opportunity to play in this tournament there was a big reason why they all came back to play or many of them did come to do it in in august and they got nothing like that world junior experience that they probably grew up watching 
That being said, Tommy, they will all leave with a memory of one of the most thrilling, insane overtime endings ever. But before we got to overtime, what happened? Canada seemed to be in pretty good control, up to nothing heading into the third period. Didn't think that we would have to get to the point where we'd be talking about Mason McTavish's ridiculous heroics to uh, keep the keep their team alive before Kent Johnson won it. What a moment that was, too. That was um, I, I couldn't believe it wasn't in. I thought that was a goal. I was waiting for the horn to go off when they continued playing, and didn't happen. And then Johnson scores that beautiful goal on his own rebound. And and us, like, getting up to that point, that game should have been over. How many power plays did Canada have? How many times did that power play look terrible? It just couldn't convert. I think they had the first five in a row. Then they finally took one. They got another one late. Still couldn't do anything with it. That game should have been just done. It should have been 4 5 nothing, not 2 nothing going into the third. And and then they let the, the lead slip away. And you could tell once Finland got that first goal, you're like, all right, it's coming. That second one's coming. And sure enough, they got it. Uh, I think everyone was collectively nervous and they were playing tight. And the Finns just went for it and they pushed and pushed and pushed and they got that equalizer. So Never say never with the Finns. They're a tremendous hockey country, obviously, uh, with a couple of golds in the Olympics and World Championship earlier this year. I want, I know they wanted the trifecta, but it didn't work out because of Mason McTavish and, and some good hand-eye coordination and a lucky swipe at the puck. But, man, that was uh, highly entertaining, and it should not have been 2-2. Shouldn't have gotten to overtime. A good team would have buried. The killer instinct would have kicked in. However, Haas, this was a team that was pieced together in, what, late July, mid-July. They'd only been together for a few weeks, like the other countries. And uh, the cohesion and, and the chemistry uh, wasn't necessarily there like it would be in, in maybe more normal circumstances. The World Juniors isn't necessarily a normal circumstance to begin with, but in a more normal circumstance, maybe it would have converted that power play once or twice. And I'll say this, too about them going to Halifax Hockey Canada in, in December, just to add to your point there. I think that was a smart play because I don't know what the ticket prices are going to be like for that tournament, but going to the Maritimes out east like that, I think there's a thirst there, probably more so than obviously Edmonton or out west, uh, where I think that we're going to see good crowds and it'll be back to normal to a certain extent. And we'll see what happens from the ramifications from this uh, the situation that Hockey Canada is dealing with right now internally. Yeah, the best World Junior tournament they've had, maybe this is a little bit biased, but I mean, the 1999 event in Winnipeg really took it to that next level where they smelt yes. the money and realized, hmm, maybe we should be bringing this to NHL buildings. The Halifax in 2003 was incredibly successful, and then it really became more about the biggest rinks possible, having getting as many people in there and, 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 and getting as much money. Back to the game, though, and the team. Mason McTavish was the leader of the club. He is, I mean, this guy looks completely NHL ready right now. Um, and that play, I mean, you sort of described it, but take us inside the building. I mean, what was the, what was the feeling around? Did everyone think that that was in the net? I mean, how long did it take for people to realize that, oh my God, he saved that. And, uh, and, and what did you hear from the 13,000 plus once it became apparent that, he actually did save the gold medal and Team Canada yeah. was still alive. Well, I mean, a collective gasp. You know, I'm sure a couple million watching on TV and, and the 13,000 plus that were in the building just in awe of what they witnessed. I'm sure, I would I would think it's safe to assume that 
they were also waiting for the horn to go off thinking that that was in uh, until you know they finally had a chance to see the replay but it, it was just a weird what what was it like a minute uh not even uh, from the the time that play happened to the time that they took the puck back down the other way scored in the jubilation so Man, it was buzzing in that time between the play happening, people talking about well, why isn't the buzzer going off? How did that not go in? And then Canada taking it back down the other way and Johnson scoring. So uh, a weird one, uh, a great energy in the building. People embraced it fully. But I, I think that the rationale and the wave of thought is probably the same and emotion too uh, as to what I had. Like, how did that not go in? You're talking, you're like, I thought that was it. And then you see Canada come down with the drive and score. And then it's just sheer jubilation and the place goes berserk. And even though there was like 5,000 less people than what it normally seats for a full house, uh, it sounded like a full house indeed in there. Well, hey, listen, I mean, at a certain point, regardless of everything that happened around it, once you get Canada playing in a gold medal game and that sort of thrilling excitement and, and drama, um, people will get in for it. Um, Kent Johnson, you mentioned who had the winner. This was, in a lot of ways, I think for a lot of Canadian fans, a real coming out party. I mean, a high first-round pick, a guy that started at the University of Michigan, but not someone that many Canadian fans, I think, had got a chance to see very much. First, he does the lacrosse goal earlier in the tournament. Yeah. And then, I mean, the winner, this guy has hands, Tom. Um, Columbus Blue Jacket fans are going to be pretty excited, I think, in the future to see what this young man can do at the NHL level. I was like many people. I was curious to know what type of player Kent Johnson was. And we didn't really get a full look at him in December when the tournament was abruptly ended. Canada only played a couple of games. So I know we played those games with Columbus at the end of the season, Hus, but I'm pretty sure, like many people in our country, uh, was not watching the Columbus Blue Jackets close out another futile season. So I didn't really know what, what they had in Kent Johnson. Watching him here in this tournament in Edmonton over the past couple of weeks, kind of like a, a bit of a magician there the hands the deft touch the vision uh, excellent now you know he's not the bulkiest guy i'm sure he'll fill out in time and and he'll be able to play a, a more rough and tumble style not to say that that's necessarily how he wants to play his game but as he fills out and gets stronger and he'll win more puck battles at the nhl level and he'll be able to have that extra second to make a play or find an open player or or see a gap in the net and and hit that spot like this is going to be a, a sneaky good player it it's almost like he flew under the radar a little bit if, if i were to say that i feel like most people would kind of be like yeah that's a good way to describe it. because we knew of him but it, we weren't always talking about ken johnson from michigan it was always uh, his teammates that we were talking about and, and they kind of took the headlines out of that program and rightly so but now this is him kind of showing what he's capable of doing Part of me, too, you mentioned Mason McTavish, and he played in, I think, every single pro league in the world last year and had success yeah. there, and obviously at the Olympics and everything. Like, what an incredible calendar year for him. I almost think, too, that it was he was like a man among boys in that tournament, and you could tell in his demeanor, like, he is NHL ready, obviously making the Ducks to start the season last year, but I don't know how to define him as a player. Like, is he... A, all around power forward is he a skill guy he's just you know he's just a really good hockey player and like why did he show up to lead canada at the world juniors didn't he want to get ready for ducks training camp and no he just wants to play hockey so there's like some elements of a ryan smith where he just wants to play and he can kind of do everything but then you look at him and you see some of the plays he makes 
and the vision that he has. And it's like, no, there's a lot of skill there behind the, the sheer strength and power that he also presents and a nice deft touch. So I don't really know how to define him as a player, but he was damn impressive the entire tournament. Well, I, I mean, I think we're going to see a very different Mason McTavish early on in his NHL career because plain yeah. and simple, I mean, it seemed at times like he was a men playing with boys and that will be very different. But if you've seen him before in the National Hockey League and we saw him play against the Jets earlier this season, I mean, even early in his rookie year, he didn't look out of place at all. And um, he's going to be a huge, huge center piece for the Ducks going forward. You'll notice I waited until now to talk about Connor Bedard. And I kind of wanted to mention McTavish and mention Johnson because they obviously were the stars in the gold medal game. Connor Bedard certainly a big part of it. But we already know we're going to be talking about this guy daily and weekly right up until the draft lottery and his name is called off the board. But um, you got a chance to, to see him up close and personal. Um, we've seen some brilliant highlights and whatnot. Fill us in on his tournament so far and um, what you see when you're watching Connor Bedard live. My first real exposure to him up close and, and in person. Uh, very impressive. Like the shot, us, I know lots was made about his 70 flex stick. Whatever works. I think Brett Hall used like a 75 flex during his career. And we know the torque that he was able to put behind that shot for many, many years. So Bedard is, is kind of, he's got that ability to shoot the puck. He slings it. And, and to me, I was like, wow, that guy can really fire the pill. And then the vision that he shows, the patience, uh, the composure was something that I was impressed by because he was a target for every single team that he faced. And, you know, he was good in handling that where he was, you know, presented with lots of opportunities to retaliate and he composed himself. He, he got his shots in where he could. He didn't back down. He didn't skate away, which I also appreciate because now... I feel like too often we see young hockey players or hockey players in general who just wait for the linesman to jump in. He's got some nastiness to him and a little bit of bite and pushback. And I respect that about him. And he holds his ground and he's not going to be pushed around because he isn't the biggest guy. So I respect that. And that's something I learned about him. And then early in the tournament, I think that's where we got to see him really uh, blossom and show what he's capable of doing. Uh, and, and I know he's one of the youngest guys at the tournament, having just turned 17. But I, I think, you know, that'll only continue to, to grow and impress us as, as he progresses through his junior career and into next year's draft. So this, is a, this player is phenomenal, and it was tremendous to watch him in person. And it doesn't come off as the, the sexiest thing to like about his game, but I like the fact that he has a little bit of FU attitude and isn't afraid to show it. So good for him. And, and let's see how it continues to evolve here with his skill on the ice and, and how he continues to add dimensions to his game because he's already got a ton of those. This is a, a great player. Now, I think you and I were joking about it and making fun of Strutty bringing up generational talent on TSN 1260 here at Edmonton last week. But uh, whether or not he's a generational talent or not, we shall see. Uh, I was kind of joking with you that I think we throw that around way too much, Huss. But he's a hell of a player, and whoever winds up with him next year is getting a real good one that they could kind of build around and center their their future on. Well, I imagine in uh, talking with scouts up there in the press box in Edmonton, I mean, the one thing that stands out is that this upcoming draft, it, there's a reason why teams are trying to be as bad as they apparently are right now. Um, you know, you've got Mitchkov, the Russian, um, a couple of top prospects behind uh, Bedard, and then Zach Benson here at the Winnipeg Ice is a guy that um, 
you know, I talked to Craig Button. He said, you know, if he was in last year's draft, he would have been a top five pick. So uh, that's still thinking a guy that might be fourth or fifth next season. So uh, it, it was, there's going to be a lot of attention on Connor Bedard, but there's a few other players that are going to be impactful NHLers that will hear their names called and wouldn't be surprised if we saw both of those young men playing for Canada coming up in December in Halifax, as you mentioned, in less than 100 days. God, that sounds like it's still summer right now, Tom. doesn't seem we can't be that close to Christmas, can we? <laughs> I don't want to believe it, Huss, but you know what? I'm not good at math, and uh, that's what they tell us. So I'll, I'll believe them, even though I don't hey, want to, uh, reluctantly. Hey, hey, before we go just flipping over, and we know what a miserable season it's been for uh, the Elks, and I know you've been mainly on the hockey beat, but you've been talking a little bit more through um, – uh, they get a win on the weekend. The Riders lose. I heard the fellas chop it up. I mean, hey, if the, the Elks can just beat the Riders in that other game, maybe it's a crossover and they're going to the Grey Cup. Uh, maybe <laughs> going a little bit uh, a little further. But give us a, a – what are you hearing about where Elks fans are? Because it seems like they've got a lot of faith in Victor Kui with what he's trying to build organizationally. Yeah. But what about Chris Jones? Um, you know, he's a guy, he's been there before, he's won, he's back. It's a different situation, and they haven't been good up until this point. I mean, it, mm -hmm. does the fan base feel like they are turning the corner, like they're going in the right direction? And uh, um, how different is that from the miserable season they had last year? Yeah, uh, simply put, no. <laughs> the fan base <laughs> is not happy with this team, and rightly so. I mean, they've been blown out a few times by the Lions, and Calgary did it to them too. Um, but those victories, there's those glimmers of hope. I know the three wins this season are, are on the road in the Eastern Division. That's fine. They beat a, a Montreal team that's kind of making some waves and playing better. They beat a Hamilton team that's struggling this year. And then they beat an Ottawa team that's obviously having a terrible season as well. Um, I think a big thing would be to win again coming up this week at home against Ottawa to end the, the really nasty home losing streak. I think it dates back to like October 12th, 2019, Huss. Uh, it's, it's been a few years since they've won a game at Commonwealth Stadium, and that's a big one. People are still mad about the name change. They didn't like that. That's left a bad taste in their mouths, whether people like it or not. Seriously? Um, that's like a thing? Still, it's very much a thing, and people bring it up often. Uh, even though the rebrand is not a very good way sharp. to ditch a redneck image than complaining about that, Tom, let me just say, I'm I with like you. the Elks. I think it's a cool I'm, name. It, it works. Huss. It, it looks cool. They still use the double E. The helmets look awesome. The jerseys cool. The pants are terrible. They'll, they'll fix those next year from what I understand, <laughs> but winning solves a lot. You know, it'll help yeah. get people back on board. Victor Kui, like you said, has breathed new life into this organization, but the winning, they need that to help complement uh, all the off-field stuff and the marketing and, and all that to get people back and to start getting younger generations interested in, in CFL football and, and the green and gold. Um, and then with Chris Jones, I think everybody here has a pretty good understanding of, of what his rapport is and, and how his uh, strategy seems to unfold. You know, the first year, tear it all down, build it back up, throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks. And we've seen that with 80-something uh, transactions already. Um, and then by year two, the expectation level goes up. There should be more results by year three. Uh, in the playoffs, maybe contending if you could push for it and add enough good pieces. They need a quarterback, obviously. Um, so there's an understanding. There's a process. There's still people that are not happy about it. 
Uh, there's still people not happy about the name change, but this was going to be a rough year. Any win to keep people interested, give them something to positive, positive to talk about the team, get them back into the stadium for a nice summer night, uh, I think is, is a good thing. So we'll see what happens. If they end that losing streak at Commonwealth Huss, I mean, it's embarrassing. They haven't won, I think, you know, over a thousand days for counting days like we are with the World Juniors. Yeah. And, and get a win on home field, get that fourth victory of the season, create that little bit of buzz about maybe they could cross over to the East, even though they would get absolutely smoked if that ever happened. Um, this team's a work in progress, but there's some steps forward. There's been some steps back. Uh, we knew it was going to be a painful 2022. The fact that they've somehow won three games all on the road <laughs> and still haven't given their fans a home win is uh, is a wild. But uh, it was, everything is up in the air right now with the Nathan Rourke injury. Maybe we just quickly touch on that, Tommy. I yeah. mean, you know, for I mean, I knew like for the Canadian Football League and for a market that needed it, he was a godsend for the British Columbia Lions. And uh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of people I know, like uh, unlike myself, that maybe don't spend a lot of time paying attention to the Canadian Football League, that were asking me about this, that we're talking about him in the chat here on the program. And um, mm -hmm. listen, I mean, you just hope that he'll be able to come back healthy going forward. You wonder what that means for, uh, it almost seemed like it was a fait accompli that he'd be getting NFL interest, uh, you know, at the end of the season. Uh, but big picture, I mean, this sucks for the league. It sucks for the team. Um, just a huge, huge loss after one of the most incredible half seasons we'd ever seen, never mind from a young Canadian QB. I hope he recovers quickly. I hope that when he does come back, he's good to go and he can light it up uh, at the end of the season, into the playoffs, make some noise. Huss, I, I, you know, one of the, the great signs of Rourke and his impact and, and what he's been able to do this season, I think, was when you heard in Vancouver you couldn't buy a Nathan Rourke jersey because they were sold out, not because you couldn't find them like we would mm. like to joke across the country. It was because they were sold out. I think that is a fantastic sign. If BC and that market is back on board and, and Nathan Rourke is the centerpiece with the new owner who seems to be very engaged, willing to, to try new things, that's how you build up some momentum and, and let it snowball into something bigger. And so if he doesn't wind up getting NFL interest and he could be uh, Canada's little secret that would be lovely to help boost the CFL and uh, show young football players in this country that you can be in a skilled position and make it to the CFL or the NFL just because you're Canadian and that's on your passport doesn't mean uh, you're obviously going to be neglected and and finally Nathan works kind of one of those key cogs in, in turning that mindset um, so sad that he goes down Hopefully he stays in the CFL for a very long time. If he gets NFL consideration, somehow makes it and has an impact there, that would be monstrous for Canadian football too. And everybody here is rooting for him, except for, I think, when he's facing off against their respective club that they cheer for. Oh, that's a great point. Tom, thanks so much for doing this. By the way, folks, Tommy and I will be invading the Nielsen show on <laughs> Wednesday morning, 10-10 Winnipeg time. It's the nickname draft. And uh, I would say, I think it's fair to say that you may need to, um, you know, step it up in this, uh, in this draft after what happened last time, Tom. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Eric got me on the last one, but uh, this is going to be a great, great topic and should be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I, when he said nicknames, I'm like 100% in. So uh, folks, uh, there's your heads up, make a point. Uh, the four of us will get after it. It should be a lot of fun. 
similar to what you remember back on the uh, the warm up and afternoon ride days. So uh, you've got it. You've got a couple full days of prep. I'm sure that's all you'll be doing for the next 48. Yeah, exactly. I mean, after my lackluster performance in the summer drink draft, where I did take a Guinness and I did mention St. Patty's Day. Listen, Huss, full disclosure, I had a good night the night before and I uh, came in feeling okay. And then we had Sobey's Liquor Beer of the Week, which is a segment that we do on our station on the morning show. Um, and I was feeling a little bit too good and I made some mistakes. So that won't be happening this time around on a Wednesday. I look forward to being on the air with you and my performance will be a hundred times better. I guarantee it. Those are always fun. Hey, I got, I respect it. It was a summer drink draft and you just yeah. over-prepared for the draft the night before. <laughs> it, just, it happens. It happens. I'm committed uh, to my fun. craft. <laughs> hey, listen, always love having you on the program. And obviously we get into hockey season. We'll hopefully be able to do this on the reg, but special thanks for jumping on a few times over the course of this tournament. It was great to have someone there with boots on the ground to talk about what was happening around the event. And obviously uh, there for a thrilling incredible OT win by Team Canada that uh, at least left everyone heading home happy. Uh, Gaz, we'll talk to you on uh, Wednesday AM with Dusty and the guys. Thanks for having me on, Huss. Look forward to it, my friend. Right on. All right, there's Tommy Gazzola. Yes, uh, so 10-10 uh, Winnipeg time Wednesday morning for those of you that uh, have uh, had the pleasure of checking into Dusty's show. Dusty, LTE, myself, and Gazzola nickname draft i'm very much excited about it feel free by the way wsters to hit me with some uh, great ideas hit me up on twitter at hustler with any ideas and maybe we can uh, crowdsource a winning roster i'm the only out of town drafter that's ever won one of these things i got robbed last time i will say that and uh hopefully we'll make it happen next week um listen hammer's all uh ready to go we'll bring him on in just a second a big shout out to our friends at Not AutoCorp for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk since day one. Uh, bottom line, folks, if you are looking to get into a new whip before you go anywhere, start your search down at Not AutoCorp at Waverly and McGilvery. The experts at Not will uh, take you around the lot for all the amazing vehicles they have on site. But if there's a particular make and model of a vehicle that you've had your heart set on, they'll source it, get it here for you at the best possible price at Not Auto Corp. Make sure to check them out at Waverly and McGilvery or check them online at not.ca. Why not? And uh, we'll look forward to seeing the Why Not gang of the game on Thursday night. Uh, of course, Little Brown Jug is our wonderful beer sponsors. And uh, we've got lots going on. But right now, add a visit to the new Little Brown Jug patio on your summer, summer bucket list. What was once a paved parking lot is now a stunning urban oasis in the Exchange District in Winnipeg. Little Brown Jug's gorgeous new patio is complete with an upper deck and comfortable and stylish booths. Just another way Little Brown Jug is building a company to build community. And the best time you can get down there to check it out, folks, is September 1st for our first sports trivia night hosted by yours truly. You know, I'm going to... This is how efficient we are here. Look in the chat right now. I've just sent you. There's the link from the Winnipeg Sports Talk link. Um, get on it. I, we are definitely going to fill this thing. Uh, I mentioned it, merely mentioned it a couple of shows ago. And uh, we had close to 50% capacity filled up. So would love for this to be another sort of impromptu WST get-together. I'll be doing, uh, we'll be curating a great program. We'll go from 7 to 9 
get your tickets. And that ticket cost is essentially just buying your first beer just so we can count heads because obviously we do have limited capacity. So September 1st, Little Brown Jug, join me, Sports Trivia Night. It's going to be awesome. Hope to see you all there. The link is in the chat. Um, hey, great day. We're going to have another beautiful week in uh, August coming to an end relatively soon. You better get your blizzards in, get the family down to one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs for the great taste of summer. All the amazing summer blizzard favorites, including a new Kit Kat blizzard and my personal favorite, the Reese's Pieces cookie dough blizzard. Um, four locations, DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And if you do need a cake for an upcoming event, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Nikki, Nikki, you'll get that custom made for you, ready to go for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQ locations. All right. Uh, we will get to cool bet lines a little later on. I've got some horse picks ready for you, but let's get right to it and welcome in our good friend Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press back on the Bomber beat as the Bombers are back at practice, ready for Thursday night's game. Hammer, what's up? How's the weekend? How was the bye week for you? The bye week was not a not a week off for me, unfortunately, but a uh, productive week nonetheless. So like, uh, as I mentioned last time we chatted, that uh, kind of digging into some things that are longer term pro projects, if you will, some of the more investigative work that I do on the side. Uh, so good week, but uh, certainly happy to be back at the Bombers. I was at the um, at the practice today and yesterday, and man, it's a scorcher. Like you, you mentioned, August is coming to uh, to an end here pretty close, but Mother Nature hasn't got the memo, which I'm a huge fan of. I'm not complaining, just to be clear. I'm not complaining about the weather. It's just uh, I just got back to regular temperature, so I'm ready to I'm ready to rip off some. Uh, Rip off, riff, rip, whatever, whatever you want. Some takes. Let's do this. <laughs> um, you know, what? We'll, we'll focus in on the bombers and stamps in a minute, as well as practice. But I, I can't start a conversation with the CFL without talking about the weekend. And of course, the number one story um, is Nathan Rourke's injury. Um, I'll be honest, I'm bummed about this. I was so, um, like Scooch said earlier. I mean, the BC Lions games have become must-watch television. I mean, what this young man did. In the first half of the season was historic was huge for that team was huge for the league and um i mean unfortunately part of pro football is it's a dangerous game and uh, he's now out for potentially the rest of the season i mean uh, what did you make of the injury and what does this do to both the bc lions and the western division as we get into the second half I mean, as for the injury, obviously incredibly unfortunate for all the reasons you just mentioned. You know, it's a blow to the Lions, a blow to the league, a blow to, uh, you know, a group of quarterbacks in, in the CFL that, let's face it, is is not at a level um, that I don't want to say that we're necessarily used to because it's kind of been like this, I'd argue, since 2019. Um, but, you know, a major dent to what is, you know, I, I'd say I'd go as far as to suggest a drop in talent as, as far as overall quarterback plays. So not having a guy like Nathan Rourke, uh, you know, in the mix, uh, as you mentioned, the must must see TV. Uh, it's uh, it's a massive blow for for you know for all those you know stakeholders, if you will, and so and especially the fans too. I mean, it was fun to you know it was fun to to see him week in and week out. He was blowing the doors off games. He was he was being hype left, right, and center, and and you know he really did take you know it took on a life of its own with it's seemingly a new thing every week. Whether it was him going to the NFL soon or whether it was you know him the MOP you know front runner which 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 absolutely was the case now you look at it now and it's you know the bc lions are in trouble i mean focusing on you know just the team issues i mean that's a 
that's a tough go. I mean, good news for Winnipeg. Obviously, you know, no one on the Bombers personnel would be would be rooting for an injury uh, for anybody on any team. Um, but it certainly is hard to ignore that, you know, BC was on on the Bombers heels. And, and with Michael O'Connor being the starting quarterback now, I mean, uh, it's a completely sh- shift in, in, in their season. I mean, I, I, I kind of teased a little bit on on social media yesterday and in, in saying that and it wasn't teased I do believe this I mean I think the BC Lions need to look for a backup plan I mean the CFL there is no building years your window is you know I mean you can make the argument with the bombers sure but the window is year to year and this is this is the window for the BC Lions they have so many weapons on offense they have a great you know the O-lines improved for sure compared to last season and, and their weapons at receiver are are second to none in the league so they must be scrambling at this point. And I mean, I know it, it was it was making its its way through social media, but I don't think Rourke comes back this season at all. I mean, you look at you look at what he what he suffered and, and the injury is and the rehab to injury. I mean, he's gonna be off his feet apparently for six to eight weeks before he even starts physical rehab. So not good news for the Lions, not new, good news for the CFL, but um, you know, silver lining, I suppose. I hate even suggesting or using it, but for for the rest of the West, I mean, you know, this is a this is a big opportunity for teams. To, to position themselves in the standings um, for, against the BC Lions team, which I guess we need, still need to see how they do under Michael O'Connor. But just at this point, looks like they're not going to be as, as lethal as they have been. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, the uh, the obvious assumption is that the team will be, you know, nothing like that, um, you know, high-powered, high-octane offense that was lighting up scoreboards around the Canadian football league through the first nine games of the season. But you do make a good point. Got to give the guy a chance, see what he can do. I mean, they did go into the, as, mu- as much as they would have loved Nathan Rourke, and they were obviously right on everything they thought about him. Um, they realize you're one play away from playing your number two guy, and you know they seem to have had some confidence in in O'Connor. That being said, though, you're exactly right. I mean, the the loss of Rourke, who was the uh, hands down MOP through the first half of the season, is such a big blow, and at that position, it's unlike any other player. And you know, Jeff, I was talking with Joe, and maybe this is bomber glasses on, just thinking about how good this team sure. is and they should be 10-0 and 0 and whatever. But, I mean, I almost see, depending on what happens, the Bombers win on Thursday night against Calgary and go 3-0 and 0 against the Stamps. I mean, we could be in a very similar situation to last year where the Bombers, even in a 14-game season, had the West wrapped up after 10 games. I mean... I'll be honest, I was looking forward to a real race to the end of the season with these games being meaningful and then those two end games against BC to potentially determine who would have that home game. Um, you know, with the loss of BC with with Rourke, I mean, I, I think it would take a real drop-off from the Bombers not to have this thing wrapped up quite early. And I know we shouldn't get that far down the road, but it's hard to ignore that possibility considering what we thought was going to happen with the BC lines the way they were playing until where we are right now with no Nathan Rourke. It's impossible to ignore. And, you know, as much as I was mentioning, you know, a, a toss up in the West or, or, you know, certainly for teams trying to position themselves in the standings, I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that the Rough Riders have been anything special. I think they got a lot of issues. They, they're certainly getting some players back. And so, you know, maybe even they're, you know, they're considering, a, you know, potential to move up in the standings. Um, just given their play has been a bit dismal this year. I don't rule them out, but it's certainly if you're looking at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I mean, uh, the sea is parted uh, a little bit here for, for them to take full advantage. And that's, you know, including two games against the, what will be a, a Rourkeless, uh, 
you know, BC Lions team, as you mentioned, to close off the season and, and just, you know, the schedule that they have. So, you know, much, much of those games are going to be at home here down the stretch. They still have two more bye weeks. I mean, the Bombers were already in a pretty enviable situation um, with Nathan Rourke now no longer in the mix and the BC Lions not being nearly, you know, as strong as, you know, on paper uh, than, than they would have been with him in the, in the lineup. This is a, a great opportunity for Winnipeg. It, it is an opportunity. You know, it really is. The West is theirs to lose. I would argue the West was always theirs to lose. Um, but now with the BC Lions, as red hot as they were, you know, kind of, you know, obviously losing their their number one guy. And, and as you mentioned, Huss, I mean, that's a, a massive loss. I mean, I was talking to Adam Big Hill about it today. And it's, you know, everyone talks, you know, it's kind of been a, a Nathan Rourke, Zach Kolaris kind of narrative this season on who's going to be the MOP and these are really the only two you know really solid quarterbacks in the CFL at this moment and a lot of that's true but you know the reason why they're they're, they're solid players is beyond their their role on the field I mean of course both those players can, can fit them into tight windows have strong arms extend plays process you know uh, cover defensive coverages uh, as, as good as anybody in this league but it's what they bring off the field. It's what they do to, you know, get players in position to be successful. The the out of game, the practice stuff, the the meeting rooms. You know, I, I mean, just look at look what happened. Look look at what Nathan Rourke has been able to do with BC, not just with his play, but just his presence. It's it's created, you know, a real uh, boon, if you will, in BC land with with football. And it's really it's really gotten all the. I mean, you have guys like Brian Burnham, who's up there as arguably the best receiver in the league right now, and has been for for a long time. Talking about how he'll one day, you know, realize how special it is to be a, a teammate of Nathan Rourke. So again, you know, his impression on the team goes well beyond, uh, you know, on field play. It's it's his presence in the it's his presence in the locker room. It's his ability to put in the work, and um, that's a massive loss. Just not even having him, you know, outside of the game. He'll still be in meetings and stuff, but not nearly to uh, to the degree that he would be if he was starting. Well, unfortunately, Nathan Rourke will not be around for CFL fans to watch for the next number of weeks, potentially the rest of the season. Very different stories with a couple of other veteran quarterbacks in Bo Levi Mitchell and Cody Fajordo, who were uh, granted the pine from their head coaches on the weekend. I mean, uh, and what do you make of both of those two teams? And I guess we'll get a little bit more into Calgary because they're, of course, here after one day of practice coming off that win over Toronto here on Thursday night. I just, I think you can, they're kind of one of the two, uh, one of the same, I mean, in, in the sense that, you know, they're both have proven they were capable, they're capable, you know, QBs in this league. Obviously, um, Bo Levi Mitchell has done that significantly longer than a guy like Cody Fajardo. But, you know, I, at this point, it's, I think it's a, a tough, it's a tough situation. I mean, you have, you have Mason Fine in behind Cody Fajardo, but is Mason Fine going to be the guy that leads you to a, to a Grey Cup this year as you're, as, as you're hosting the game? I don't think so. So, you know, as bad as Cody Fajardo has played at times and as injured as he has been, they don't have a better option. And, and uh, but that's a bit different uh, when you head over to, to Calgary. I mean, Jake Meyer's been in the system for a while. He's started games, you know, he's, he's gotten significant game reps with, with Bo Levi Mitchell, you know, having, uh, having dealt with injuries over the last few seasons, he's gotten those times. So, you know, and then for him to come in at halftime and, and lead the, lead the stamps to a win over the Yargos was, was important. You know, the buzz coming out of Calgary right now is that Jake Meyer is going to probably be with the number ones today when they, when they, they go through a walkthrough today. So it's not quite like a practice, but you should get some indicators, but um, you know, it's, it's a tough situation there. I mean, Jake Meyer has talked about wanting to be a starter. The stamps have talked about how important, uh, 
you know, or how skilled of a player he is. I mean, he is the future. And, you know, as, as, as much as Bo Levi Mitchell has done for the Stamps, I mean, that, that leash needs to be shrunk. He's not nearly the same player. He's not making the same kind of passes he's, he's made over his career. And at what point do you move on from him? I mean, this was always seen kind of like a Bo Levi Mitchell final season. So if you think Jake Myers, your, your, your future, your starter, your number one, you know, years down the road, it'd make a lot of sense to get him in games now. I mean, if you look at, if you look at, uh, if you look at Calgary's remaining schedule, I mean, they don't, you know, they play, I think Edmonton a couple more times. They play BC without Nathan Rourke. I mean, they have potential to have, you know, I was talking to Danny Austin from post media today. They have potential to have a 13 win season and they haven't really figured out their quarterback situation. So that's saying something certainly about them. But uh, I think if you're comparing two situations, I think Calgary would be a lot more comfortable leaning on a guy like Jake Meyer than than a guy than than necessarily uh, you know the Riders looking towards Mason Fine and what's a critical season for them. Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think back to the opening game of the season for Calgary and Mayer went in, and I remember hearing Dave Dickinson after that game, and my takeaway, Jeff, was that we are very close to Bo Levi Mitchell becoming the number two in Calgary, and then. They won a bunch of games and, you know, they've had a good record. So he's been there. But, uh, I mean, if we had to bet right now, do you think Mayer might take the first snap for the Stamps on Thursday night here in Winnipeg, considering Bo Levi's already 0-2 against the Bombers this year? Well, if you're asked the if you're asked the players that they they're convinced that you know Bo Levi Mitchell will be under center, uh, you know, come Thursday. But I'm not so sure about that. You know, if you look at Craig Dickinson and what he, and how he uses his quarterbacks. Again, I you know I'm leaning on on Danny's insight here, and and you know he he mentioned that Craig Dickinson likes to uh, he likes to have. He likes to his quarterbacks to know that they can make mistakes and return to the game. I just don't know if that's a, if that's the situation here with Bo Levi, Levi Mitchell, where you know he you look at the last game and his throws continue to be off. Uh, you know he he's not you know as much as they were comparable in yards um, between the two. That you know you got to take into consideration that. Bo had an 80-yard pass on the first play of the game. It, it, it accounted for more than half of his yardage in that game. So, you know, Jake Meyer proved he could – he was on target. He moved the chains. He did have a late interception that kept Toronto kind of in the game. So that's – I don't know if that's necessarily incredibly problematic, but a concern not – you know, regardless. So I just – you know, I, I – if you had to ask me, which you are, and you know, I think Jake Meyer is the guy that you go with and, and figure out, you know, figure out what you're going to do. Because if you put Bo Levi Mitchell in on a short week and he gets beat up by the by the Bombers, I mean, you've, you pulled him at halftime last week. Are you going to really pull him at halftime again this week? At this point, I think you give it to Jake and you figure out if he can get her done and, and, then, and then have Bo Levi Mitchell obviously waiting in the wings in case something goes south. Jeff Hamilton of the Free Press with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. By the way, folks, if you haven't already, do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up. Let's uh, let's get to at least 150 for our new guy, Alex, who's doing such a great job. Mute-free show, by the way. I didn't see that noticed in the uh, in the, in the the chat. People are very impressed with how smoothly things are running. Although I'm looking forward to having Remus back tomorrow before he's off for uh, a more extended little bit of a break. Listen, I want to kind of finish in, focus in on the Bombers, but coming out of the weekend, I can't not ask you about the Ottawa Red Blacks. I mean, dude, that I watched that game. The second half was so miserable. And if you saw some of those crowd close-ups in the fourth quarter, I mean, it, it reminded me straight up of Joe Mackey or Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I mean, angry fans, 
disappointed people, shocked at just how inept their football team was. And this wasn't getting run over by the Bombers or the Lions or the Stamps. This was the Edmonton Elks. Um, mm-hmm. How hot is Lapo's seat right now? What are you hearing? Oh, man. I mean, I almost feel bad for him because, I mean, how can it not be? I mean, I, you know what? I, I think there's – it's easy – you know, I, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I've written about in the past, you know, I, it's interesting, right? I think there's a, there's an argument to be made that Paul LaPolice doesn't excel nearly as well as a head coach than he does as an offensive coordinator. And and to have both roles with the Red Blacks is a tough situation and clearly one that he's not handling well. I mean, some of the decisions, you know, Lapo has made in games, time clock management. I mean, just this past week, I mean, Jalen Acklin goes like this on a, on a potential PI and you throw the flag, like you're excited to like, that that's enough proof. I mean that, and for what to get the ball at midfield, I mean, with tons of game to play, that was just a stupid decision. And, and so, you know, you look at the, you look at, you look at their situation, you look at the talent that they have now, it's important obviously to mention that, you know, Jeremiah Masoli was, was the big, you know, free agent piece that, that they saw that they signed obviously, and was a big part of their team, even when he, you know, even when he got injured, whatever, four games into the season or, or whatever it was. And, you know, they still weren't winning, but he was throwing the lights out. I had a couple close games against Winnipeg, of course. Um, so there is that kind of situation, but then you pick up Nick Arbuckle and I don't know if he was sick for a little bit there, but, you know, Caleb, Caleb Evans becomes a, becomes a you know stud one week as a top performer and then the next weeks ensuing weeks you're wondering if this guy should even be in the CFL and it seems like the offensive game plan has gone down the drain um it's just you know it's a tough situation to be in and and the reality is is that Sean Burke didn't hire Paul Lapolis he came in as a new GM and you know unless you know he might want to make changes because people are looking at both of you right I mean you haven't you know you look at your record one and eight. I mean, it's clearly not good enough in a in a must win win now business. Uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before people are starting to say fire Sean Burke. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, it's not an enviable position enviable position to be in that lap lapos in. I don't know if you just want to you know cut bait. I think you you clearly need to know who your next guy is. I don't think you're doing anyone favors by giving like a Mike Benavides like an interim position even if you do hire an OC uh, you know like to come to replace you know La Police I, I just don't see that being a smart move so and especially when you look at the east as bad as it, as it is <laughs> surprisingly you know I mean I don't think you can necessarily think that the Red Blacks are going to turn around and have an awesome back half of the season but punching your ticket in the playoffs isn't impossible uh, situation isn't an impossible situation at this point so there's still something to play for um, but at the end of the day I mean if, if this team doesn't make the playoffs and you consider what they did in 2021 and how bad they were um, I just don't know how you keep your job um, but at the same time I don't know what goes on in those meetings but um, there's you know there have been kind of talks earlier in the year about you know Schomburg coming on and not having you know having his guy in Lapo and and, and this was going to be a big season for them to start out one and eight I mean <laughs> I, I, I would say it couldn't get any worse because it could be worse. It could be 0-9, but it's pretty damn close to the worst-case situation. Well, uh, they've got a rematch with the Elks. The Elks who have not won at home in over a 1,000 days. It's incredible this team, which looks so incompetent most of the time, has won three times, but all on the road. And you heard it, it's the Ottawa Red Blacks going in. So... Uh, 
Maybe maybe this is the moment for the Elks to send there. Well, Ottawa's what lost what nineteen or lost twenty home games. You know what I mean? So they like something had to give, but it's just the wrong team to win. You watch Ottawa head down to Edmonton and continue their streak. It's just it's just yeah, it's ridiculous. These these stretches are ridiculous, and it's a it's a bad sign, obviously, for a team who can't win at home. I mean, it's great that you're pulling off wins, uh, you know, on the road, at least a couple for the Elks case. But when you can't protect the house. Uh, that's uh, that's a big problem, obviously, for for more than just win losses for box office for all that stuff. Well, from the bottom of the table, we go to the top to focus in on the Bombers. You were at practice today. The team got back to the action yesterday on today, hosting uh, Calgary on Thursday night. Uh, I guess the first thing that I'll ask you is about Greg Ellingson. Saw that uh, he left practice. Uh, did you see anything? Uh, what, what do we need to know about Ellingson uh, for uh, for the next game? Yeah, the front row seat for it. So he he was uh, he he missed practice yesterday. So he's at practice, but he wasn't participating. So nursing something, obviously. I mean, he was out before with a hip injury, and uh, you know I saw him run a, a simple route, just a you know a, a, got a pass towards him. I don't even know if the ball went towards him, but he pulled up lame uh, and had to limp off limp off the field. Had a, had a little bit of a discussion with with the trainer. Um, you know, I don't know if it's aver- you know reaverigating his 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 hip or if it's, it's, if it's a left, you know, leg situation, whatever it might be. But, you know, I think the ultimate indicator was that after he limped to the sidelines, he ultimately got driven back to the stadium and was no longer practicing. So uh, not great news for, for the Bombers. Clearly no real update from Mike O'Shea, who, you know, would have been running the practice and would have been, you know, in the ears of athletic therapist, uh, you know, Al Couture. But um, yeah, certainly not good news. And I think we'll find out, well, I don't know if we'll find out a ton more tomorrow with a closed practice, but we'll certainly ask about it. Uh, at this stage, it's too early to suggest if it's, you know, serious or if it would you know linger into later in the week and, and might result in him missing the game but certainly not good news for a player who at one point wasn't practicing with the team and you know and, and then the next day is, is limping off uh you know to get some treatment what uh what was the vibe around practice i mean the team uh they kind of put that uh, first loss in the rearview mirror uh did the buy come at a good time i mean what are you making this because we've spent so much time talking about the meat grinder that they went through to get to nine and oh a disappointing end before they finally got their bye week. We saw fishing pictures. We saw guys spending time with their families. Now it's back to business. And honestly, if you take the BC Lions without Nathan Rourke out of the question, even at 2-0 and against the Stamps, this would have to be thought of as the biggest threat to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West and the CFL right now, um, depending on what happens with the BC uh, team with O'Connor behind center. Yeah, I mean, the Bombers certainly find themselves in great position right now against a formidable foe in the Stampeders for sure. But, you know, I think that week was super important. It was super important in a lot of different reasons. One, of course, they, you know, had played 10 straight weeks in a row. Uh, so, you know, some guys, some guys have been nursing injuries, some guys who have been out of the lineup, you know, with injuries got to benefit, but everyone's kind of banged up, right? Everyone's dealing with something uh, and everyone could use a break after, you know, 10 straight games. And uh, it's not just the physical part, it's the mental part. I mean, it's funny, right? I mean, we, you know, we all we often, you know, roll our eyes when we hear, you know, guys talking about how it's one, you know, one one week at a time, one game at a time, going one and oh, uh, you know, all this, all all the uh, all the things that we we've heard this these players talk about under Mike O'Shea for years. You know, pretty easy to say the same things, but it's a lot more mentally difficult to follow those rules to follow those day in and day out so i think the mental rest the mental break was just as important for a lot of players as the you know the 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 physical rest so i you know i think it certainly looked well i think these guys 
came back refreshed. Uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, a lot of guys did some, you know, fun things. A lot of guys got together. Didn't sound like anyone had a massive party week. I mean, they, they know what's at stake here. The message from Mike O'Shea hanging into the buy was, you know, challenge yourself, challenge yourself to do what you need to get done. So I think for, for a majority, if not all, all the players, it was a bit of a mix of, you know, getting away from the game, whether that would be fishing or heading back home or going to, you know, a cottage or whatever it is. Um, but then, but also make sure that you're not completely, you know, ignoring, you know, your, your responsibilities and doing what your body needs over that week to come back ready uh, to fight. And so if you look at their opponent here on Thursday in Calgary, Calgary played last week, they're on a short week. Um, they're on, they're on the road. We all know, I know the Bombers lost to Montreal last game, but they've been, you know, juggernauts at home for, for quite some time for years now. Uh, so they find themselves in a, in, in a big, in a big position to down another, you know, formidable foe. It's just, you got to play the game. So we'll see what happens come kickoff on Thursday night. Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press is with us. Bombers do uh, kick off 7.30 p.m. We'll let you know about the Princess Auto tailgate party and more at the game coming up in just a few minutes. Um, you knew that the minute we were talking about Bombers, we would have some people in the chat asking about Mark Leggio. Um, uh, of course. I mean, practice is one thing. This is all about the games. And overall in the games, he's been pretty good. It was just a crunch time. He wasn't able to get the job done, and now the team's nine and one as opposed to ten and zero. Uh, what's your take on that situation? The pressure on Legio coming into these next eight games, and how is it being handled by Coach Mike O'Shea? Most importantly, uh, yeah, the Bombers are going. I uh, put their full support behind Mark Legio. He's back at it. He's in the exact same position. I really think it's being chalked down to, uh, you know, a guy who was eighteen for twenty on field goals before, you know, the wheels fell off against Montreal two weeks ago. So um, that seems to be the situation. Now that can certainly change uh, over time. We'll see how Mark Leggio answers. I think this game this week is a, is an important one for him to put, you know, last, you know, two weeks ago behind him officially. I mean, he's pledged that he did that 24 hours after the game and, and you know, said he had a great bye week and a, a good opportunity to, to get away from it. But at the same time was home for, two thirds of that week and was at the stadium every day, you know, doing his, you know, doing his routines and going through his motions of kicking and punting. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I've written some, some, you know, some statements over the last couple of weeks. I, I think the leash is extremely short. I do think that if the bombers aren't at least, you know, looking at their options or considering a, a change over time, I mean, that's, you know, I think that's would be, you know, ill-advised. Um, but at the same time, let's see what Mark Leggio can do. I just can't help but thinking, but think for a team that, you know, is so, for a man like Mike O'Shea to be so, you know, detail-oriented, um, everything needs to work. I mean, I, I, I don't know what Mark Leggio can do from here to the end of the season to, to, to really be trusted when the game's on the line come playoffs. Good news, obviously, for him is there's lots of time there's lots of time to figure that out. There's lots of time for him to, you know, put together a couple of great games. But the reality is, is Mark Leggio is a great punter. At this point in time, he's a pretty good field goal kicker. I mean, um, you know, there, you look at last week's or two weeks ago and the misses, obviously very concerning, but he's protected every game. He doesn't go out for 55 yarders. I mean, he's barely pulled out for 52 yarders. His range is not exactly the range that you want to have, you know, for your kicker. Now, I know a lot of people look at and say, oh, well, Sergio Castillo has like a similar percentage and this guy has a, a you know, similar percentage. But, you know, kicks are, kicks are, they're not all the same. I mean, pressure is different. Guys handle pressure differently. You know, 
Um, so as much as, you know, Mark Leggio struggled two weeks ago, he's got the, you know, he's got the backing of his head coach and will get that opportunity. But I think it really is going to be a, you know, a, a something that's, that's looked at all season long because once playoffs come and a three peats on the line, the margin for error in the playoffs is extremely thin and having a guy that you don't 100% trust in those situations is not a good feeling heading into a, a big game like that. Um, uh, with the team back after the bye week, I'm just wondering if any other uh, injury updates. You mentioned what happened to Ellingson, and he's, I guess, a question mark going into the game. Uh, what about BA, Brandon Alexander? Is he out there? And uh, anything else on some of the guys that have been out getting closer to return? Yeah, so, yeah, you look at, uh, you know, a guy like um, Michael Couture. He, he had his cast taken off his arm. He's been out since the, you know, opening week. So he's kind of, I wouldn't say around the corner. He's not practicing yet. That's obviously a big indicator. I think once Michael Couture is at practice, it won't be a long time before he gets back in the lineup. A guy like, uh, you know, you mentioned Brandon Alexander. I mean, he, he penned his own story on the Bombers website talking about, you know, how close he was and how rehab's going well. If you look, he's at practice. I mean, he's jumping around and cheering his, his teammates on and he looks absolutely jacked. So he looks like he's in shape. I mean, physical shape and game shape are two different things. So, you know, it's hard to put a timeline on him. He told me the exact same thing. And, you know, when I ran into him in the parking lot a couple of weeks ago, he said soon. I don't know what soon means, but um, hopefully for the Bombers in their secondary a couple of weeks from now. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat was out uh, on Sunday, but he's back in the lineup and, and ready to go. He's been, you know, he's been, I think they're just careful with him because he's, he's, he's suffered a few injuries over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're getting healthier. They're getting, uh, they're getting their guys back. And, um, you know, I, I think with the inclusion or with the, uh, with bringing a guy like Michael Couture and, and Brandon Alexander seemingly around the corner, uh, for returning, I think this is a, you know, these are, it's almost like picking up, you know, key free agents at, at, at the trade demo, as, as we often hear about. And, uh, you know, when an injury comes back in the NHL, it seems to be the situation for those two guys. So getting healthier, which is a, is a big sign. Well, and particularly back to Couture for a minute, I mean, it was funny because Piscucci said, and I kind of agree with him. I mean, the biggest concern in the last game wasn't Mark Leggy was shanking that kick. It was how often the defensive line was in Zach Caleros' face and chasing him around. It was a five sacks. I mean, even the best plays that he made in the game, Jeff, were, um, you know, brilliant time-creating maneuvers, basically running around to, to buy some time. Um I would imagine that the offensive line doesn't feel like that is indicative of what they're capable do, of doing, uh, but certainly getting Michael Couture uh, back would be a big boost at some point very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at that, if you look at that game against Montreal, whether you want to call it fatigue after playing 10 straight weeks, I mean, no one really had a great game. I mean, Stanley Bryant got beaten ways we haven't seen him get beaten years. Um, but, but I do think it was, obviously it was concerning to have Zach Claros running as often as he was, but I think that Montreal maybe noticed, you know, as good as Chris Kolonkowski has been, you know, playing in relief of Michael Couture, which wouldn't have been an easy, wouldn't have been an easy ask for him. Um, they kind of, they kind of picked on him and, and uh, Jeff Gray there for a while. And, and, you know, is that, again, is that the result of being tired after 10 weeks or is that a, is that maybe a potential weakness to try to exploit in the interior of the D line for an, for an opponent? So 
Um, we'll see. You know, I, I, I certainly, you look at, that's another one I never even mentioned. Pat Newfeld hasn't practiced this week. I don't see it being a huge issue. I don't, I don't know if he'd be out uh, this week because it's hard to tell with him because, you know, a guy, you know, a guy like him is who's battled injuries and, and, you know, it's, he's, he's one of those guys who's played in this league long enough where, and knows enough that he doesn't need to practice you know, to play in a game and, and would probably benefit particularly under this heat not to practice. So it's hard to kind of gauge where he's at, but um, you know what the, the, you know, over the last few weeks, as bad as that, as Montreal game might've been, I mean, the Bombers run game has also improved because of the improved play of the O-line. So we'll figure out if that's a bit of a one-off against Montreal, if there's, or if there's a bit of a, you know, potential weakness for other teams to exploit. But I, I certainly, when you look at this group and how dedicated they are and how fierce they are, I don't see a drop-off coming up against, uh, against Calgary, particularly with the stamps on a short week. Yeah, no, I'm with you as well. I mean, it's the one thing we've really been able to count on game in and game out. And it just was, um, you know, maybe a little surprising because, frankly, Zach Claros hasn't been, uh, had to deal with that as much. And, uh, you know, was a big part of the game. But credit to Montreal for playing a heck of a game. Hammer, uh, what's coming up in the next few days before game day in the Winnipeg Free Press on your beat? Latest on Bomber practice today and I imagine the uh, CFL roundup as well? Yeah, going to do a story today on uh, the Bombers, you know, planning for for Jake Meyer or Bully by Mitchell, potentially both of them. Uh, so Bombers all week. I got my CFL rundown column probably coming tomorrow or the next day. I haven't quite figured that out. but uh, And that one's going to be interesting because there's a lot of stuff that's been happening over uh, over this past weekend in the league. So lots to talk about there. But all blue and gold for the most part this week until uh, they wrap it up Thursday night. Well, looking forward to it. And uh, as I said, with Remo Way, maybe we'll see if you want to jump on for an opening segment, hit all the top stories of the day at some point that the schedule uh, is available for you. But we'll definitely be in touch. Always love these chats to get the weekend going and really looking forward to Thursday night's game as well. And of course, all of your coverage coming up in the Winnipeg Free Press over the next few days. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Shout out to the uh, the commenters as well. And Hus, we need to get into it one of these days. We're being too kind to each other. So, uh, you know, let's, yeah, uh, let's if, if, if we can't be side by side right. one of these days, you know, maybe we can we can start, uh, you know, hating on each other soon. I know the need chat to get a situ that, so. need to get a situation, get everyone into tizzy in the chat as well. But well, uh, I'm, yeah, nice and I'm told I'm told angry me is the best me. I don't know. I don't know other people would agree <laughs> with that. But uh, I like all, I, love I like the, all I love the word angry. I promise I'm not an angry individual. As, as <laughs> I know uh, you're you know, not either. That's many like, people, you know, hey, the many faces of Jeff Hamilton on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hey. You're looking like a million U.S. tax-free as always. Charming people in the chat. Thanks for doing this, man. And we'll uh, look forward to uh, hopefully catch up later on this week in and around the game if possible. Yeah, right on. Appreciate it, my man. And we'll talk soon. Look forward to it. At Jeff K. Hamilton on Twitter. And, of course, make sure you're checking out all Jets, Bomber, and CFL content, Jets, and much more in the sports section over at the Winnipeg Free Press. All right, speaking of the Bomber game, you know what that means. Home game princess auto tailgate before the game 5 30 things will get going dj finesse will be spinning five dollar beers 350 hot dogs and pop entertainment the brand new sea can bar that uh, they just picked up from uh, an establishment just down the street for me great addition so they can serve people a little more quickly and uh, of course you all know that Princess Auto, proud sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, 
And you can shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. And speaking of that bomber game, uh, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing quite a few CC and gingers consumed by fans and which should be another great crowd at IG Field. Canadian Club recently launched the drink of the summer, the ready-to-drink Canadian Club and ginger ale. Ginger ale pre-mixed, ready in cans. Pick it up today at your local beer store or try it on Thursday night at the game. And, of course, all Canadian Club products available throughout IG Field as Canadian Club is the official spirit and sponsor of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right, I've got to get to uh, the cool bet lines. So let's do that right now, and then we'll finish it up with the picks for the track tonight over at Assiniboia Downs. Uh, was quite interested as to what this game would open at between the Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. And lo and behold, if you click that CFL tab, Bombers have opened as five and a half point favorites over the Stamps in the game on Thursday night. Minus 227 on the money line, Calgary at plus 183, and a total of 48. Um, I thought that this number might be a little lower, but I guess with the Bombers coming off the bye, Calgary barely getting past Toronto and the quarterback questions, maybe this does make sense. It's going to be a big number, though, to lay on the Bombers considering how close the games have been with Calgary so far this season. Hamilton and Toronto going at it again this week, and it's the Argos that are three-point favorites coming off that narrow loss to the Stamps. Of course, the Ticats lost by a single point to Montreal, narrowly narrowly covering the spread and preventing a 4-0 weekend in the lock shop. We'll take 3-1, though. Uh, Hamilton, three-point underdogs, plus 140 on the money line. Argos, minus three, and minus 169 on the money line. That's the Friday night game. Only three games this week in the CFL. Saturday night, it's the rematch between Ottawa and Edmonton. Not exactly a primetime matchup, but there it is in primetime. The Elks, three-point favorites at home over Ottawa. Elks looking to break that ridiculously long home losing streak and go two in a row against Ottawa. You wonder what that might mean for Paul Apelis if they can't get this one done after that disappointing home loss uh, home loss uh, on the weekend. All right, cool bet. Uh, we will get into the lock shop tomorrow after Winnipeg Sports Talk. So if you're sticking around to the end of the YouTube program, you can definitely join myself and Dusty. We'll get to all of this and more. Tour championship, a little bit of a weirder turning when it comes to handicapping and betting because of the uh, the, the, the start. But we will get some picks for the uh, tournament without strokes We'll do all that tomorrow on the lock shop. Of course, if you haven't played a cool bet before, use the promo code WST when you're making your first deposit. You get a 100% bonus up to $200 on your bonus at cool bet. Tons of NFL futures. And Dusty and I will do an NFL futures show. We're actually going to be doing a couple of them, but we'll put one out later on this week. And of course, he's coming here to call Bombers and Stamps for TSN on Thursday night. All right, it's Monday. You know what that means, gang. Live racing is back at Assiniboia Downs. And normally, we'd have Remus here to go head-to-head on the picks. But I will do my picks, and hopefully they're good, because last week was uh, was a freezer for yours truly. And maybe it all started with the rainout. Everything was a little bit shaken up. That being said, it's business as usual. 7.30 p.m. post-time tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. 
And uh, here are the picks for tonight. Race number three, we're going to do a $4 Quinella on Zippin' to Impress the Favorite and Lenny's Zeal. Race four, we're uh, going to put a fin on Texas Rain to win. There's been a couple scratches in that. I have a feeling that'll be a pretty short number by the time they go, but I do like Texas Rain to win. Race number five, here is the Triactor box today. Uh, you know I love the Wits horses. Well, we've got Wits Question and Wits Gato in it. We're going to put those two together with the awesomely named I'm All In for a, a $6 bet. That's a $1 Triactor each way. Um, two more wagers, a $2 Quinella on six and seven in number six. And then Wit and Whiskey, horse number five for three bucks in race seven. So there are your wagers today for Assiniboia Downs. Of course, if you're not able to get out to the track, you can wager at hpibet.com and watch the races live with Kirk and Stretch over on the Assiniboia Downs YouTube channel. But there's nothing like getting out to the track. So if you're able to, make that happen tonight and make a point of giving them a call at 885-3330 if you do want to make an um, reservation for that world-famous prime rib buffet and a table in the dining room for any night of live racing. All right. Well, this has been a fun show, although we will miss Reem. He's back tomorrow. It's a great primer for myself and Alex to uh, take care of Wednesday through next Thursday. Uh, but, yes, the Wonder Boy will be back. We'll uh, have Remo in. We'll talk about his weekend, find out how the Chili Peppers were in Toronto and uh, more. And then – It'll be back to uh, some additional special guests holding it down with Remus taking a little bit of time off. But a big thanks to Alex Alard doing a killer job behind the scenes. As you have noted in the chat over and over, um, you've it was mute-free, a mute-free show today, which uh, that's why we work with professionals here on WST. Um, and yes, I did see the line, Alex shows his face on the thing at plus 230. It won't cash today, but at some point before the end of this next couple of weeks, we'll certainly have Alex on. I, I'm looking forward to his take on the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat, which everyone knows is the uh, is the most fun anywhere, certainly in Canadian sports. Folks, thanks so much for being with us today, and uh, thanks so much for taking it easy on us without Remus to handle the chaos in the chat. It was a great one, though. For those of you podcast listeners, really appreciate you making us a part of your day. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. And, of course, gang, if you're here and you haven't already, hit that thumbs up and make sure you've hit that red subscribe button and join us daily Monday to Friday starting at 1 p.m. Central right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right. Thanks to Joe Piscucci. Always love having the scooch on. Tom Gazzola for Great stuff from Edmonton in the World Junior Hockey Championships. And Jeff Hamilton as well. We'll try and get Hammer back on a little bit later uh, on the program as well. Maybe in and around before or after the Bomber game this week. Uh, tomorrow, though, we will have a packed show. Remo will be back. And then, uh, again, counting it down to kickoff on Thursday night for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And maybe just maybe we'll have some Jets news to talk about. That sure would be nice. I can tell you, though, if there is Jets news, you'll hear it here tomorrow right off the top of the show on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks again to all the sponsors. Thanks to you for making us a part of your day. Thanks to Alex behind the scenes making this happen and to all of our guests. Gang, we'll see you tomorrow. One show with Remo for the week. It's tomorrow, so don't miss it. We'll be back with you at 1 p.m. right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Have a great afternoon and a great evening. Thanks for being with us. 
Oh my oh, God! Oh. Oh. Shut it down! Oh, Let's go! Home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.